Welcome to The Conversation. I'm Heil Russell. And I'm Jeff Onan. Jeff, a blessed hey. talk like a pirate day to you. Oh yeah, that's, that's coming up. I'm not going to talk like a pirate today. But That's, that's today. That is today. The, the day the episode goes out is talk like a pirate day. And right. of course, we, we oh. record these live as you're hearing them. We're actually like, don't break the immersion, Jeff. It's talk like a pirate day. But Heil, what if between now and then a, a major global tragedy happens, and we're acting like we we didn't know about it? Oh well, then this is the relief from that. That this is the escapism that we desperately need to to temporarily forget about said tragedy, and it's just talk like a pirate day, and, and we're talking about Sea of Thieves, and it's the conversation. Yeah, talk about pirates day. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to actually talk like a pirate. We rarely do that on these Talk Like a Pirate Day episodes. And I know some of you might be thinking, well, you, you might be thinking, Heil, what the fuck? I, I, I expected a unique Talk Like a Pirate Day episode, and you're just combining it with what would be your usual Sea of Thieves coverage on the conversation. This is bullshit. And to that I say, nobody has ever cared about our Talk Like a Pirate Day episodes, so get over it. <laughs> this, this, this is honestly the biggest DKU thing that happened this summer, was uh, the well, Pirate's Life... I mean, yeah, probably. I mean, the year's not over yet, but so far, sure. Um, so I don't feel bad about using our Talk Like a Pirate Day episode card on this because finally talking about the spoilers of a pirate's life, and there will be spoilers in this. So if you're not played through it, if you don't want to know what happens, tune out now. But yeah, th- this is. I think justifiable, even if it's also just uh, good timing that it's September 19th and it's time for us to discuss A Pirate's Life. But I'm going to have a drink right now, Jeff, because no matter what day we're actually recording it, it's a mostly made up pirate holiday somewhere. So it's it's time for a drink. So I'm going to going to have some uh, rum cider right now. Oh, boy. Mm. I am also having rum. Oh, wow. This is going to go well. <laughs> it's not It's not like we both got up, or, you know, in, in before noon and started drinking. Yeah. That doesn't happen. No. Because, if, no. if, because if today is September 19th, that, and, and we're going to lie, I mean, if we're going to pretend that's true, uh, we can pretend it's like 7 o'clock at night. Yeah, sure. We don't have a problem. This is socially acceptable. Look, it's it's all made up anyway. What does it matter? Uh, before we get into it, before we talk about pirates on this talk like a pirate day, I did want to plug once again that the conversation is on Spotify. That's right. We are now on Spotify. So if you just typed in Donkey Kong into Spotify and you found us for the very first time, you're like, oh my God, there's a Donkey Kong podcast. I had no idea. And you're wondering why we're talking about Sea of Thieves. Well, then I recommend you go back a few years to figure that out. But uh, Sea of Thieves is part of the Donkey Kong universe. Welcome to the conversation. 
And uh, thank you for following us on Spotify. That's right. We are now on Spotify. And you can just go to geekavine.com forward slash Spotify or just search The Conversation in Spotify to find us that way. All right. Well, Jeff. Well. So this this is, like you said, the biggest DKU event this year so far. Um, and maybe this year in total. We don't know yet. But, I, you know, I, I was surprised. Look back at those E3 episodes we did. I was surprised when, when Jack Sparrow showed up in that trailer. And yeah, I think part of... Did, one, one, sentence, one sentence backstory here. In case people have no fucking clue what you're talking about, uh, <laughs> we, we're talking about Sea of Thieves season three, yeah, which which brought in a Pirates of the Caribbean crossover to that game, Sea of sure. Thieves, which is a right. game. I I feel which like you didn't you didn't set that up for the listeners yet, so now they. Well, know. how far back do I have to set things up? Like Sea of Thieves, which is developed by Rare Limited which is a studio in Twycross, which is in the Midlands of the UK. Uh, Rare has also made such beloved classics as Donkey Kong Country and Banjo-Kazooie, Battletoads, Goldeneye. Video games, they, video games are basically kind of invented in the 50s, I think. And Do you remember uh, Pong? Well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we, we could keep doing this. Let me explain the history of piracy to you, Jeff. No, I mean, I, I th- at this point, I'm thinking highly of our audience, and I, I know that they know what a pirate's life is, and that Jack Sparrow is in Sea of Thieves. I, I mean, it, it's it's out there. <laughs> We've talked about it on this podcast before, but okay, okay. Um as I was saying, though, it shouldn't be surprising to us, right? Like, uh, I mean, it was. It shouldn't have been, but it was. And I think part of the reason why it was so surprising uh, is because, you know, it's not something that Rare has done, bringing in uh, an outside intellectual property into their games. It, at least they haven't done it much since 1994, because 1994 is really the birth of what we think of when we think of Rare. It, it was the birth of the modern Rare. That's when they made the partnership with Nintendo and released Donkey Kong Country and rebranded as Rareware, which a lot of people still refer to them as, Rareware. And that was kind of the shift away from that period where they were, you know, outside of things like Battletoads and doing more licensed games. You know, uh, we, we had Kev Bayless and David Wise here on The Conversation a few weeks back, and they brought up the WrestleMania game that Rare did. You know, that that was the kind of stuff Rare did to supplement their income in addition to their own sort of IPs. Uh, 1994 marked a turning point, really, from that. Um, with their partnership with Nintendo, they were just developing their own properties as well as working with Nintendo on theirs. So we had Donkey Kong Country, Killer Instinct, and, you know, it just kind of spiraled from there. GoldenEye was kind of an exception there, and it, it seemed weird and incongruous. And then once they were done with GoldenEye, they immediately shifted to their own IP, Perfect Dark. They didn't, you know, opt to do Tomorrow Never Dies or, or whatever. But... 1999 was a little bit weird because 1999 saw the arrival of a game that didn't seem true to that spirit. It's called Mickey's Racing Adventure. 
and it was released for the Game Boy Color on the very same day that Donkey Kong 64 came out. So it's kind of a little trivia bit that's been lost to history. Came out November 22nd, 1999, Mickey's Racing Adventure, which was followed by Mickey Speedway USA for the N64 and Game Boy Color in 2000 and 2001, respectively. And this felt incongruous with Rare at the time. I remember, you know, the, the early days of DK Vine. And in fact, like before DK Vine really got up off the ground when we were still in the planning stages and just thinking, oh, Nintendo has to be making them do this. Rare would never sell out like this to the man. You know, we were Rare fans and we didn't like them making Disney games. And yeah, you have to think too, this was the late 1990s and I, Personally, me, I I was not a Disney fan. This was the era before Disney became this sort of household pillar of entertainment that has something to offer to everyone. And it was mostly just, you know, oh, the the people who make the Mickey Mouse and you've got then all their Disney Renaissance movies like The Little Mermaid and The Lion King and, and then Diminishing Returns, Pocahontas, Tarzan, Hunchback of... Oh, Notre on. Dame. Tarzan, come on. You like those movies? I, I'm st- I like Tarzan. It's got Phil Collins on it. Well, I, I don't mean to dis- besmirch Phil Collins, but, you know, that that was just the era of Disney in the 90s, and I wasn't a Disney kid growing up. I kind of rejected all of the sort of things that adults would would push on me as I actually just recently brought up here on the conversation. So you know, I I went with like alternative kids entertainment. I was a fucking little hipster, and <laughs> Disney was not part of that equation. So to have my absolute favorite video game studio, and in fact my number one fandom in the world, make Disney games, it didn't make sense in my brain, and. So, because of that, you know, Mickey's Racing Adventure and then the the more well-known Speedway USAs just sort of became this anomaly in this era of Rare. This era of Rare that I think everyone holds in high esteem, um, no matter where you, you know, align on the, you know, fan spectrum. Anyway, then, you know, they, they released the Game Boy Color version of Speedway USA in 2001. 2002, they became part of the Just Four Microsoft Studios, and that was the end of that story. That, that was their, their last little dalliance with Disney. So at E3, when they announced that Captain Jack Sparrow and elements of Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean franchise would be crossing over in Sea of Thieves... You know, I, I was more receptive to it than I would have been 20 years ago. Uh, a lot has changed in my life it, with Disney and Disney's relationship to pop culture. And I'm, well, I guess I'm just more open-minded in general now. I probably would have hated this 20 years ago had they announced that, yes, yes, um, I, I don't know, The Little Mermaid is crossing over with Banjo-Tooie. Donkey Kong 64 is going to have Tarzan in it with Phil Collins music. Yeah, I would have hated that, Jeff. I, w- I would have absolutely hated that. Because one, I didn't appreciate Phil Collins back then. And two, why are you m- messing up the thing I like with this thing that I have no interest in? Because the fear, too, is always that 
the thing I have no interest in is going to take importance over my own thing. Like you're basically selling out your own property in service to this greater thing. This thing that's known by more people that has like more market saturation and that you're just going to make your own product look lesser by comparison, by, by trying to ride this, this crossover opportunity. That's the fear, at least. Um, I wasn't so afraid when Jack Sparrow showed up in that jail cell, in that brig, in the trailer during E3. I was more intrigued than anything. I was like, huh, I don't really know how I feel about this, but I'm sort of excited to see what they do with it. And and a lot of that, too, is trusting the Sea of Thieves team, trusting Absolutely. the creative team. And they've earned that trust by now. Absolutely, yeah. It's so. It, it, you would in 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 any lesser hands, I would have felt like this is a, po- probably going to be tacky. Uh, but knowing the the designers at Rare, uh, knowing their relationship to Pirates of the Caribbean and what it means to them, I was, and and their respect for their own IP, Sea of Thieves. I knew I knew it was going to be done well. It was just a question of. Well, what exactly, what what form is it going to take? Yeah, and I, I think we even played with the idea of how tacky it could be uh, when we were discussing all the alternate trailers that you could do. I, th- I Was it you and Dustin who came up with the idea of it being Austin Powers yeah, in the trailer? Yeah, because Austin Powers canonically has a time machine. Uh, so he could come to the Sea of Thieves if they wanted to get with who owns the Austin Powers IP? I don't know, but they could co- they could work together. They could do an Austin Powers in Sea of Thieves set. I'm thinking Five Tall Tales. Uh, you could have all of your classic characters like uh, Fat Bastard, Mini Me, Gold Member. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and because of that, like one to one swap out. With, with, you know, pretend this was Austin Powers instead of Pirates of the Caribbean, you could easily see how this would quickly turn to schlock, if not carefully navigated. And, and so I think that's why I was kind of excited. Is like, one, I trust this team. I'm not emotionally invested in Pirates of the Caribbean. In fact, up until that point, I had not seen any of the movies except for a little bit. Of the first one. Having no connection to the property and trusting the team, it kind of put me in this neutral state of being. I, I, I was intrigued, but not personally invested yet. So I feel like for one of the first times in a long time in my fandom of Rare, I wasn't coming into this with any preconceived notions of this is going to be a spectacular or, or, you know, I mean, I, I never come at this stuff as I'm going to hate this. I mean, the, the last time I did that, I was in a different point in my life, right? So um, where, where I am now, it's it's much more rooted in positivity and, and trying to look at the bright side of everything. But, but yeah, this is pretty much as neutral as I could be going into something like this, uh, which was exciting for me, right? So it was more like an intellectual exercise than anything. I wasn't emotionally connected, but I wanted to see how they would pull this off. 
And, and that was what was so exciting to me because I had no idea. I, I, I couldn't even fathom how they would successfully pull this off. And so that somehow made this set of tall tales one of the most anticipated events in Sea of Thieves probably since those early events in the game. I mean, I was excited when they brought the tall tales in for the anniversary update. That that was huge, but uh, you'd have to go back to the first year probably with the Hungering Deep and uh, Cursed Sails for for me to really have that Skeleton same level. Thrones. Well, no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not counting those mini events. I'm talking about right. the big blockbuster Some events. Some of us like to sit in those skeleton thrones. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> we got tired bones. You just got to sit down sometimes in a video game. <laughs> uh, yeah, extreme sitting. There have been a lot of fun events in Sea of Thieves, like the extreme reading event. Uh, yeah, they they know what they're doing. Um, <laughs> they but, I mean, yeah, th- this was probably the most I have anticipated something since we had to hunt that shark or or they had skelly ships in the game for the first time. Remember Wanda? You know, Wanda a- and she she roused the fleet of skeleton right. ships and you had to fight them at specific times of the day. Wanda, like, who, actually- uh, who her her, uh, her role in the in the shop was replaced by her sister, Wanda. Wanda with an O, which is which is probably the most rare gag in Sea of Thieves to this day. I you know, people, you know, I hear people who only like look at Sea of Thieves from a surface level, and they're like, "Well, Sea of Thieves doesn't have the humor that I look for in a rare game." And I'm like, "Yes, it does. You're just not looking. You you are not catching that, the nuances." That, that, that very same event introduced a talking skeleton parrot that used to be a human man. And one of his catchphrases is, I miss having wrists. <laughs> right. Salty and Wanda uh, with an O ki- kind of just sum up why I love that event. Even if, if timing out my schedule was a pain in the ass and I'm glad they don't do that anymore. I still hold those events in high esteem uh, just because they were big fucking deals. And, right. you know, I the anniversary update probably added more enjoyment to the game on, you know, on a pound for pound basis, like, oh, you know, I'm I'm getting more bang for my buck here. But I, I think this set of tall tales brought back that level of, oh, this is going to be nuts. I have no idea what's going to happen. Ooh, you know. Oh yeah, and, and, and you know that's just, a good point you bring up too, because you got to think, uh, whether or not, like, regardless of the Pirates of the Caribbean intellectual property here, which is a big deal, completely take that out of the equation. And the size and scope of the content, regardless of the IP that's attached, is huge. This is one of the biggest updates to Sea of Thieves ever, just in terms of size and scope. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, it definitely brings that excitement factor, even if you're not a fan of, of, uh, of the Pirates of the Caribbean. Just the amount of content it adds to Sea of Thieves. They just, okay, we're like three years into the game, and they just added another 10-hour story campaign on top of all the new enemy types and all the other stuff they added. And I think because it also followed this really sort of, I don't say fallow period, because that sort of diminishes, you know, seasons one and seasons two, but th- this period in time, which corresponded with the pandemic and Rare shifting to a work-at-home model, 
and you know the the lockdown in the UK and they they were still able to churn out content and updates during that time but it wasn't as ambitious as I know a lot of players wanted it well, to be well it, it's because they were working on this i mean it, You're right we for, for nobody whole, knew that at the time yeah we didn't know but while while there were some months with lean content they were working towards this massive drop of content so yeah yeah and and so that's why i was excited mostly for the creative intellectual exercise that it represented but also because it was the most significant event in sea of thieves in a long long time and i am a huge sea of thieves fan as are you jeff mr golden sands blog post i don't need to uh spell that out for anyone so yeah, that, that's where we were going into this. Uh, so I binged all five Pirates of the Caribbean movies. For more on that, check out the Conversation Mini Jeff and I did, although it was kind of a supersized mini, uh, where we discussed all five Pirates of the Caribbean movies, got in some arguments, as Jeff and I are wont to do. And I did my homework, and then I came into this uh, eager and ready. And I, I was so looking forward to this. Uh, and we're going to get into all five tall tales. Spoilers ahoy, my pirate mateys. Yeah, after that thir- after that 30-minute intro, 30-minute preamble. <laughs> I just talk like a pirate, Jeff, on Talk Like a Pirate Day. Arr. Did, you, did you catch it? Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, but but season three did add or, or has incorporated other mini- events and and, uh, time-limited things that we should probably touch upon before we get into the heart of the story. And I don't have much to say about these. That's part of the reason why initially we had planned to split out Season 3 and the Pirate's Life discussion into two episodes. Ultimately, it didn't really make sense because the heart of Season 3 is a Pirate's Life, and, and all of these events are kind of superfluous. And uh, don't really amount for a lot of good chat. So we're just going to give them sort of a passing glance before we get into why everyone is probably listening to this. So so outside of uh, outside of the tall tales, the Pirates of the Caribbean crossover also uh, came in the way of the cosmetics in the shops. Uh, everyone mm-hmm. can dress like Jack Sparrow now. But um, one thing I liked about that it was like a whole crew set like. If you bought the costume, your everyone in your crew could don a matching costume in this set, but it would make the Captain Jack Sparrow, but one person could be Gibbs, one person could be Anna Maria, and one person could be Scrum. Uh, I guess you'd have Everybody's to, favorite character, Scrum. It, whichever person in your friend group that you actually hate, they have to be Scrum. <laughs> uh and they have the dog. They have that dog with the keys in the mouth, the prison dog. Uh, prison dog, yeah. Which is cool. Uh, I I find it a little weird whenever they have a pet in the Emporium that feels like it's a single individual animal that everyone has a copy of rather than yeah. feeling like a, a species. But um, I also thought it was weird. They never did anything with Jack the Undead Monkey. Yeah, I thought that the second pet they were going to add to the second wave of Emporium items would be an undead monkey. Um, like th- that very specific curse from the first movie where you look normal, but then the moonlight shines on you and, oh, you're, you're skeletal. Um, that, like that, that would have been cool. 
but they didn't do that. They just had a monkey that was dressed as Davy Jones, which, okay, that's not a thing, but okay. Yeah, um, the Davy Jones costume, a lot less cool to me, uh, because I think that if you're going to go full Davy Jones, you have to give me some kind of uh, nautical curse that actually, like, it, it feels like the pirate is just wearing a costume and not transforming mm. into a, a fish man. But that's fine. Um, the ship sets are cool. You can have the Black Pearl uh, ship, or you can have the uh, Flying Dutchman ship. Although they're not called that. Uh, the, in the game, since these are not actually the Black Pearl, this is a design you can put onto your Sea of Thieves galleon or Sea of Thieves sloop or whatever. It is a ship design that the shipwrights have invented that is inspired by the Black Pearl. Uh, and inspired by the Flying Dutchman, and now that those ships have, like, been in Sea of Thieves and contributed to its history. Um, so I think it was called maybe the Eternal Freedom set? And, yeah. And the other one was, like, the Cursed Ferryman? Yeah, which kind of describes Davy Jones in more Sea of Thieves terminology. Uh, part, part of me wondered if they didn't call them something else uh, as, like, the arrangement they worked out with Disney... I, I don't know. Um, I don't know if there's any credence to that. Because part of the fear of all this stuff coming into Sea of Thieves was, well, what happens if Disney says, all right, that's the end of the contract. It has to leave Sea of Thieves now. Because um, Mike Chapman has spoken to that just a bit. And so uh, I, I I don't know. But, you know, it, it's it's fine. I Because it, it really does just approximate kind of what the Black Pearl looks like. Because... Obviously, the shape of the Black Pearl is unlike anything in Sea of Thieves, at least except the Black Pearl. Spoilers. But, um, you know, the shape of the ships in Sea of Thieves aren't the same as the Black Pearl. So you can have a similar figurehead and color scheme and sails, but you can't really make it look like the Black Pearl. So it's fine. I really like the fairy, the Curse Ferryman uh, capstan, which looks like that kind of Kraken summoning cap- capstan you know, from the ship in the movie, and it's got the, yeah. the like, octopus face on it with all the tentacles. I, I like it a lot. I, I It gives me very Halloween vibes. I don't know. I, I watch a lot of Lovecrafty movies, so it just gives me this, like, cosmic horror vibe with the, the octopus face. Um, it looks to me more like a Cthulhu face than an octopus because it's got angry eyes. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, these, these cosmetics are cool. Um... I, I, I think that having the prison dog instead of Jack the monkey is our first little hint that the devs here are a lot more fans of the theme park ride than they are of the films. Although they they obviously reference both and we'll get into that as we go. Um, but other than yeah. that, I don't have, you know, I don't have a lot to say about the cosmetics. I don't know about you. I named the dog Lice Key. Um. <laughs> oh, because he's holding a key. Uh, but a dog has lice, but it's like a pun yeah. on the ice key, which is a DKU yeah. thing. Which NC of these is DKU, so it, wow. it just it just it's like peanut butter and chocolate. And oh, I named peanut the butter monkey. and chocolate is what I named my dog. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I named the monkey Jeff because oh, the yeah. joke the the joke in that was that you weren't there on the stream where the monkey was introduced. And, you know, and the undead monkey, which this monkey should have been, 
was named Jack because they named the monkey Jack after they marooned Jack and, and exiled him from the crew. And you weren't there that week, so we named it Jeff. That was the joke there. Yeah. Funny, I, right? Funny. Like It's like TBS. It's very funny. Um, But other than that, throughout this whole season, uh, obviously, as all the time going in Sea of Thieves, they did these little events uh, you know, to drive different kinds of uh, engagement. Like, oh, we have an event where you can do these challenges to earn these rewards. It just kind of keeps people playing. Um, for us, we're going to play anyway, but it gives us something different to do uh, throughout the months. But um, I think by the nature of how big a pirate's life was, the supplemental content that went along with it, like these events was inherently a little bit light. It was not yeah. all that exciting um, in terms of anything big or different. Yeah, and that's fine because you really don't want this huge distraction that keeps people from actually playing uh, the, the new Tall Tales. Because, you know, uh, yeah, there are the people who play every day, um, and, and there's no pleasing those people because they just burn through the content like that. But uh, we, um, at least DK Vine Stream of Thieves, we play once a week. I generally play once a week in this big four to five hour session on Sundays. And so if you're going to have all these time limited things like do A, B and C to get this time limited reward that will only be featured in this event and will never come back again, then I've got to focus on that. I can't be focusing on this tall tale that will be in the game uh, for the foreseeable future so long as the Disney deal is, is worked out. I, we don't know the specifics on that. So it, it, it is good that they didn't do so much of that, except maybe towards the end. That's when they really kind of indulged in this really grind-worthy sort of event. But, um, yeah, we had Flags of Friendship... The Plunder Games, the Making Mayhem event, and Jewels of the Deep. And I have to be honest, Jeff, I barely remember most of these. <laughs> yeah, we actually, right before we started recording, we, we were like, y you asked me, like, wait, what is Flags of Friendship? We actually confused it with Reapers remember. versus the World. Um, Which was season two, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so Flags of Friendship. Yeah, I, I don't have anything to say about these other than... It, yeah, it was pretty clear that most of their time and resources went into the Tall Tales and stuff like that, and that these side events were not given a whole lot of time or thought. Um, the Plunder Games one especially, it was like there was no cosmetic reward for it, uh, or title. Which is surprising, yeah. That one was kind of tied in with the Olympic Games that were happening in real life, uh, but it was just like, here's a bunch of challenges that are vaguely athletic-tied and uh, if you complete them, you get gold, which is kind of a pun because in the Olympics you compete for the gold. Um, oh, I get that it. one was easy to ignore. They did the uh, Borderlands crossover ship with the franchise Borderlands, uh, and I that know. event that event was fine, but it like. You could do the entire thing in like an hour. We barely even tried to do that, and we were done with it. I I think in an hour. It, it and and considering I don't give a damn about Borderlands, 
fine. That's fine. I, I'm, I'm not, my mouth isn't watering over getting a Borderland ship set. So good. You know, I'm glad that was, that was almost like a non-event, right? Uh, meanwhile, then we just did the Jewels of the Deep, which was had the opposite <laughs> problem. Uh, that one was balanced uh, to not be completable by normal humans. That, okay. So th- this is one of the few events um, where they kind of indulged in a lot of the bad ways of, of the olden days. So th- a lot of these Sea of Thieves events have been much more balanced since um, way back when. Since way back before the season structure, um, they, they would occasionally have these ridiculous criteria to meet. Um, and like you said, no human, no normal human would be able to do them without a lot of consideration or cheesing of the system. In fact, I said it, it was a long time ago, but I'm just thinking back to the Reapers versus the World event where we had to do a server takeover to turn in, what, 20 flags to the Reapers or something. Something ridiculous like that. Um, and a lot of that is just based on luck, right? Like, you've got to be lucky to be on a server where people are actually be- being emissaries, and then you've actually got to sync that person and successfully turn in their flag. You've got to do that 20 times. And if you don't play to be an aggressive dick, then, you know, and that's fine if you do, because any style of gameplay in Sea of Thieves is technically appropriate, because, you know, you are the pirate you want to be. But... If you're not, then that you really have to figure out a way to game the system. Anyway, that was season two. Uh, Jewels of the Deep, though, to get the Ruby Eye Patch, which is just a recolored eye patch that has been in the game already. As I think that the Sovereign Eye Patches, but they just tinted it red. That's all it is. It, it's, it's no, I think it's new. I think it's new because they just added in a Sapphire and an Emerald one, and then the Ruby, and those are in the shops. And then the Ruby one was locked behind this event. Okay, uh, but okay. They were but all there, was already, together. there was already one in the game that was a yellow stone, and it was called the, the Sovereign Eye Patch. And this is this is basically just a recolor of that. Um, okay. Which the only reason I know that is because I already I bought it at some point, and I was I was looking in my inventory to make sure the Ruby one activated on Sunday when I got all 100 gems turned in and i was like oh wait this was just a recolor of that okay don't i feel like a a perfect mark but i still needed it i still want it i don't care that it's just a recolor because i am an obsessive completionist i am a whale anyway um yeah this one the jewels of the deep event really played with a lot of the new enemy classes that came into the game specifically sirens and ocean crawlers and um and phantoms i guess played a part in it too maybe for renown at least i i don't know uh, i don't remember because favor. not renown favor favor not favor okay not to favor. be con- favor favor not to be confused with renown not to be confused with reputation uh which i think those are all essentially synonyms whoever supplies the 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 sources to rare um, definitely deserves a Christmas card this year because they have gone above and beyond. No, uh, favor is something you had to earn with the build rats, and then you would unlock cosmetics during the Jewels of the Deep event, like tattoos and scars. And how you earn scars uh, as a reward, I don't know. That seems a bit off to me, but you could earn makeup, and then 
if you turned in 100 merfolk or siren gems to any of the trading companies, then you would get this ruby eye patch uh, that that wouldn't be available anywhere else. The sapphire and emerald ones are available in the shop, but the ruby one you would have to earn. And for those of you who don't play Sea of Thieves or don't play it as religiously as we do, let me just tell you, 100 gems is an absurd amount. It, it, it is not something that can easily be done. And we only had two weeks to do this. So... How long How long do you, would you say that, in terms of hours, would you say this took like 15 hours? 20 hours? Thir- 13 to 15. 13 to 15 hours, and you completed it. I didn't even complete it, because I didn't have the time to spend 13 hours in this one game for over a two-week period. Um... And I'm like the Sea of Thieves guy. I still didn't have the time. You are, you are, you are like out of the DK Vine staff. There's a reason you're on the Sea of Thieves episode, Jeff. You are the Sea of Thieves guy. You run Golden Sands blog posts with our friend Dre. Um, you are the go-to expert when it comes to all Sea of Thieves knowledge. If we have a question, we go to you, which annoys you sometimes. But I'm sorry, but that is your role. Um, you've been pigeonholed. <laughs> As as any tradesman who who's excelled at their craft is, you know, if if I need a shoe made, I go to a cobbler. If I have a see if these question, I go to Jeff Onan. Uh, mostly because I don't want to annoy Amir. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, th- this this is one of those imbalanced things that feels like a tossed off idea that they didn't carefully consider, and it's fine. Like, it's doable. Cameron and I both did it. I think we're the only ones of the staff who did it. Um, Gibbon and, and uh, Idaho crew member Dustin, they both part, partook, part, part, partaked in it uh, just a bit, but they, uh, they didn't get all 100. And I don't think Dre got all 100. I might have to ask them, but it, it was it was just... This thing, there's a very specific way you could do it, but it would still be time intensive. And that was doing Thieves Haven runs, which awards you gems over the course of the voyage. But even a Thieves Haven run might net you 20 gems, and a Thieves Haven run might take two hours to, to do. So it, it's just a time sink. And you had a better and it's RNG. Idea. It is RNG it, as well. You yeah. don't know how many gems it, it, you're going to get. Yeah, it's Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and you're like, why don't you retire? You've got cancer. What are you doing? And, and then look where it got us. So yeah, Norm McDonald <laughs> died. Norm McDonald died, and, and I'm like, he wasn't even on the Supreme Court, and I'm broken up about that. I didn't even know he was sick. The thing is that you had a much better idea about how to do this event. And we're not going to complain about this too much longer. We're going to get into the oh, yeah. of this. But- oh, yeah. I forgot. But, yeah, no, what they ought to have done, uh, if you needed a 100 points towards unlocking the eye patch, instead of it being like 100 gems, it could be 100 points. And uh, sapphire gems would give you one point. Emerald gems would give you two points. And ruby gems would give you three points. Right. Which would, on average, uh, like double how many points you're getting whenever you like whenever you find a gem. Uh, so 
it would have taken half as long. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I think that these wa- these events were um, put together probably with the amount of resources and time that this team had to do them. Uh, they they couldn't, you know, people complaining that they want them to be bigger and have like add original content. Uh, I don't think that this event team has that those resources or time. Uh, like like you're asking them to do something they cannot do. Uh, yeah. But at the very minimum, I mean, balance has been an issue. So I hope that they can work on that. I don't know if they play their own game. Uh, some of them, and that because I wouldn't. I mean. The workday work. ends when when yeah. the workday ends when you clock out. You know you don't have to play your own game, but uh, yeah, they've been pretty unbalanced. Um, hopefully and, that, and, and that improves. That, that's that's really my only complaint is the balance because I'm fine turning in Merfolk gems. I I like I like when they take things in the game and give me a drive to pursue them where I wouldn't ordinarily be that concerned about them because it it freshens up the game. It, it allows me to refocus and celebrate a different aspect of it. But when it becomes a slog and when it becomes this daunting, worrying thing for a completionist where I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, <sighs> that then negatively impacts my enjoyment of the game and my enjoyment of the event. And then I have a negative impression of it. Even if I do feel accomplished pulling it off um, at the very end, it's still not something I really like. And I didn't like revisiting it with the jewels of the deep, but that's, it's a minor quibble in, in the grand scheme of things. All right. So now that we're done with the 50 minute, uh, preamble, <laughs> we can talk about the actual real meat of season three, which is these tall tales. Obviously there was events. Obviously there was cosmetics. Obviously there's new gameplay that has, affected all of the game that we're running into all of the time outside of the tales but the meat of the season the main thing we did this season uh that we will remember the season four are the tall tales obviously uh yeah there's a reason why on the title screen they didn't label this season as season three they subtitled it a pirate's life because this is the season this is the draw this is the appeal this is what got so many more people in the Sea of Thieves over the summer than uh, before. Like, right, it, it, it's drawing in the Disney fans, it's drawing in the Pirates of the Caribbean fans, or just those who were Sea of Thieves curious but needed that little extra push. Or people who people who were Sea of Thieves players at one point but dropped off over the years. Maybe you thought that the game was kind of bare bones and you stopped playing after a month or two. And then you, you've come back, you know, it's never a better time to come back. Uh, you wanted more, you wanted more enemy classes other than the bare bones. And then you're like, oh, now we got some crab meat in here. Great. Man, I fucking love the crabs. I don't, I, anyway, <laughs> uh, so tall tales impressions right off the bat. One thing they did, which was, I, I, this was a little weird, but it makes sense, uh, is right in the title screen, no, right in the like main menu. Uh, there's a new, there's a tab for loading into the game. You could, you, the normal one is like adventure mode. You could go to adventure mode, load into a tavern with your friends, but there's a, a different one that's just labeled a pirate's life. Uh, and you click on that. And the only difference when you select that one, cause it doesn't just take you into a story mode that's separate from the game. 
uh, the story mode is still in the game, like in in yeah. the shared MMO world. Uh, but what that button does is uh, one, it f- automatically makes your crew a closed crew. So if you were brand new to the game, you don't accidentally choose an open crew and start playing with randoms. Um, Whoopsie doodles. Oh no, what are we doing? Why Why is my own crew setting my ship on fire? Who are these people? I just got called a slur. Yeah, oh yeah. why, why is Fart Slur 69 in my crew? What's happening? Uh, then the other thing it does is it will load you onto the outpost, uh, but instead of waking up in the tavern, uh, you know, as you usually do, you wake up from your drunken sleep and you have a note uh, pinned to the table, and it's a note from Lorena that's like, here are the events that are going on in the game right now. You should check them out, you drunk idiot. And I- instead of that, you skip all that, and you load in at the outpost right at the beach where there is now a brand new little uh, landmark, a a campsite with a mysterious uh, castaway figure who set up a little shack uh, on every single outpost. Who's not and that this mysterious. Is where you s- <laughs> well, she's mysterious at first, if you don't know, especially if you don't know Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Well, she starts talking and you know exactly who she is, but okay. Um, I, I, Yeah, and, and this castaway camp, by the way, has been alluded to in previous seasons, previous updates. You've seen the slow construction of this castaway camp. Um, and it's just one of those things where Rare and the team change things to the game's world, and you just have to notice them. It's not spelled out for you, but you can see the evolving game world, and it eventually leads to something. In this case, the Castaway Camp. So I think all of these efforts they went through, uh, they've done a good job of, of this one specific goal, which is to make it so if you are a person jumping in to play this, who has never played Sea of Thieves, we're going to remove some of the really obtuse obstacles that make it hard for you to engage with this. Because, like, in previous Tall Tales, you... It it was a lot harder to figure out, like, where do I go? Where do I go to start my story? Uh, This one is, like, all five of the tales start right on the outpost, on any outpost you want. Uh... We'll give you a um, option in the menu to load right at that spot, uh, and the castaway will just explain to you what's going on. And I think yeah. that that's just one of the many little examples they did that just uh, are making this really accessible to new players. Obviously, I still think if you've never played Sea of Thieves for a minute in your life, you might have a hard time with some of the mechanics. Like you're getting really thrown into the deep end. But they but they put a couple little floaties on you, so you're not really being thrown into the deep end. Now, here's my question, Jeff, because I, I have no way of really knowing this. They they put in the Maiden Voyage earlier on to kind of be the tutorial for new players. And, in fact, you have to play it before you can um, play any of the rest of the game in, in the shared servers. With the advent of a pirate's life, do you still have to play a maiden's voyage first? I think so. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I I can't okay. know for sure unless I create a new character and delete yeah. my other character. 
Uh, I'm not going to do that. Which you wouldn't want to do. No. Uh, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure you have to do the Maiden Voyage, which is the game's version of a tutorial, uh, before you can load into anything, including a Pirate's Life. I could be wrong. That's just what I'm I, I'm logically guessing is, is the case. Um, so you do get some uh, tutorial stuff. And then when you load into the game, uh, like for the first time, as you go about, you still get these pop-ups. You get these tutorial pop-ups, like when you pull out a fishing rod and it's like, oh, hey, you have a fishing rod? These are the buttons you press to fish. And, and like, oh, this is how a robot works, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, but enough about that. Castaway Camp, you start all five tall tales there. I actually, the way they had them all laid out next to each other, I was kind of wondering if there was going to be some non-linearity to the story. Yeah. Like, oh, they're all here right now. Maybe we can do them out of order. Uh, but no, they're 100% linear. You cannot do Tall Tale number two until you have completed number one, etc., etc. Uh, as long as someone in your crew has completed right. it. You can right. you can skip ahead if your friend is there. But um, And then we get started. We start Tall Tale number one, and the, the lady at the camp is all spooky. She is. Uh, we do have a call. To take. We've got a call. Uh, it briefly touches upon Tall Tale Number One. Uh, it speaks kind of more to the general pirate's life in total. I don't know if they're as spooky as the lady at the camp is. That will be up to you, Jeff, to tell me. Uh, let's take the call, and then we'll we'll get into the first Tall Tale. Hello, conversation. This is Jebaha. Um so you guys are talking about a pirate's life. Um, I guess I just wanted to give what little thoughts I had of it because I haven't really played through the whole thing, actually. Um, I've only played through the, uh, the first, um, the first part, uh, first part of what do you call it, Third, first mission, first uh, story, first whatever, first tale of a pirate's life. And... Um, I decided I wanted to stop after that one because I wanted to play through it with a crew or a couple like a couple buddies of mine, and time hasn't really lined up because of busy life schedules. But from what I've played of it, um, I absolutely love what they did with it, just based on the first one. And I've been really looking forward to playing the rest of them. Um, and I don't know, man. CFT is just getting better and better. And I've said it before, but I want to thank you guys so much again for convincing me to pick up Sea of Thieves and, um, you know, not being really into online multiplayer as much. Uh, this has been still the most rewarding and fun online multiplayer game I've ever played in my life. Leave it to Rare. Um, have a good, have a good conversation, guys. Uh, thank you, well, that Jebaha. Wasn't spooky at all. For the call. Not, not, not I wasn't spooky. scared. I wasn't scared. There was yeah. one point where I backed away because I was like, maybe I should use this opportunity to go get on water, right? Because I've been drinking this rum and cider, and, and I'm like, I should probably hydrate at the same time. But then I was like, I should listen to what Jebaha has to say. So I did not back away out of fear. It was more out of thirst. So if anything, the call just made me thirsty. But it was fear that brought you back because it was the fear of missing what they had to say. FOMO, ha, uh, is <laughs> what the kids call it. Yeah, and, so uh, yeah, Jebaha. I hope you get a chance to play the rest of them. 
uh, because I think absolutely that first one definitely whets the appetite. Like, like that first one to me uh, is one of the most complete feeling experiences in Sea of Thieves. It's it's like it's one of the only times where it feels like they've just created a one big wide open area to explore that feels uh, that is structured around a, a, a mission. Like it feels almost like a 3d platformer world. Yeah. Um, and there's not a lot of places in Sea of Thieves that feel like that. I actually think the maiden voyage kind of feels like that. Um, but a little bit, but little yeah, bit. this is, this is more of a, of, more flat terrain where the main voyage is kind of one of those islands that sort of, uh, you know, goes upwards into the, the jungle and, and it's got more nooks and crannies where I feel like this, I think Cameron said it was structured like a Banjo-Kazooie world. And I, I really see that, uh, for sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, good, good call Jebaha on waiting to play with a full crew. You probably want to do that. Um, especially the later Tall Tales, I really feel like you get a lot out of it by having all your buddies there. And, so. uh, and, and they're not all, this is, I think, an important point that we'll talk about in the second tale, uh, but they, they don't all let you have your private little server instance to play a, a private story, so then it would be good to have friends with you just in case uh you know something were to happen in the open world of the game um yeah yeah can i also just say i really do not like uh that the the whole story the whole story overall is called a pirate's life but the first the first tall tale is also called a pirate's life uh i i I wish it had a different name so i don't get the two mixed up because right now we're talking about playing a pirate's life the first tall tale uh, but that is part of a pirate's life, the whole saga of Tall Tales, all all five. How do you think Rolling Stone magazine felt when they were reviewing the song Bad Company from the album Bad Company by the band Bad Company? So this is one degree less worse than that. So count your blessings, Jeff. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, yeah, it's no Paul Rogers. Uh, it's... <laughs> We have Jolly Rogers, I guess, but uh, <laughs> yeah, this tall tale starts off um, immediately with one of the coolest things that this saga, uh, this set of tales does, is you get to sail through a portal, and these portals are just like a thing now. There are these new rock formations, these mountains all around the map. There's six of them, because no matter what, to- no matter what outpost you start at, if you want to do this tale, you're going to have to sail through this rock formation that has become a portal. And so I they, think the implication is that the castaway magically raised up some rocks to create yeah. these archways. Yeah, they're definitely a little jarring that they all look identical and there's six of them just all around the map. Like, I feel like they probably could have gotten away with only doing three and putting them in between each like pair of outposts, equidistant between the two outposts of that region. Um, sure. But, I, do you think they were making it like new player proof? Like yeah. they absolutely didn't want any That's confusion. A hundred percent. That's exactly what it is. Although my my suggestion is is actually this: uh, I would have made the castaway camp its own island. Yeah, and I would have put a one portal near that island, 
And then I would have just had it that if you wanted to load directly into the uh, Pirate's Life tab, uh, you would load into the Castaways Island instead of an outpost. That way you wouldn't be, like, cluttering up every outpost on the sea and putting a, and cluttering up every region of the sea with two giant portals. Um, I understand why they did it this way. Uh, it's very much, like you said, it's, it's, to, it's to make it new player proof. Uh, but... And also, you didn't you didn't want a uh, a fulcrum point like uh, the Reapers hideout, where when this was new, everybody's going to be converging on the same island if that's where the castaway is to start the tall tales, and and that's then a good point. Could, yeah, so at least this spreads it out and reduces the risk of PvP encounters. Well, when you just want to start the. I tall have tale. an even better solution for that coming, and we're going to talk about in the next tale, but. This oh, okay. so 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 with this tale, you got to sail through this portal, and now you are physically entering the Sea of the Damned, uh, which we we've only been having a, a taste of the Sea of the Damned in the past, which is where we go every time our player pirates die. You go onto the Ferry of the Damned that is sailing you through the Sea of the Damned back to life. It is yeah. ferrying you back to the Sea of Thieves, so you can respawn. It's a it's a it's an elaborate lore backstory to explain a game mechanic that everyone takes for granted, which is respawning. Um, and now we actually can sail into the Sea of the Damned and arrive at uh, an island uh, because we are in search of this mysterious prisoner that is contained within the Sea of the Damned, which... It's not so mysterious. We all know who it's going to be, but this first tale is setting that up. Uh, I love this tale, like, right off the bat for this reason. Uh, the the atmosphere, the, the new kind of uh, visual look of everything, like the plant life in the Sea of the Damned is, like, purple instead of green leaves. It's, like, purple leaves. And uh, just the art direction of this area... Um, Going through these spooky ghost caverns, uh, I, I love everything about the presentation. Yeah, so I just have to be upfront about how I perceived this whole tall tale. So when we played this, I, I was really looking forward to this, right? And like I said, this was my most anticipated time playing Sea of Thieves since that first year of the those those big events. Um, and unfortunately, this coincided with a severe period of insomnia for me. Um, back in June, I, I was going through this thing where I just could not sleep. I, I wasn't getting enough sleep, and when I was sleeping, I wasn't getting quality sleep. So I was kind of frayed, right? I, I was at wit's end. And then to make matters worse... When we started to set up this tall tale, this stream we were doing, um, we were having technical difficulties. Uh, we, we, we were having trouble getting Andrew. It was Andrew with us. Um, and we were having trouble getting them into the game. And then basically, long story short, it took about an hour for us to get going. And, um, I was already like at wit's end. And and so 
I think that severely impacted my enjoyment. I was kind of crabby and and just rude to everyone <laughs> that day, and, and so I I didn't really have the best experience, which was entirely on my end. It wasn't the game. It it wasn't like the presentation. So I would be keen at some point to revisit this tall tale. Um, unfortunately, there's nothing in it really. Uh, to justify replaying it like no, like we got all the combinations done that day so there, there's no incentive for me to revisit it except for curiosity's sake um that being said i'm going to try to disengage how i was feeling that day from the actual events of the tall tale and, and you're right like th- there's a lot of cool things in this one specifically getting to explore the sea of the damned to a much greater extent, not just like elsewhere in the Sea of the Damned, but also the Fairy of the Damned, ultimately getting to see so much more of it. It's, it's kind of like scratching that itch that you've always had when you're on the Fairy of the Damned and you're looking out on the horizon and, and you know nothing's out there. You know they haven't coded anything, but it still makes you feel like a kid when you're you're wanting to, like, get just beyond the horizon, just beyond the barrier, wondering what's out there. Um, it, it kind of lets you have that fun, that, that little part of your brain that's always wondered what is out there. Yeah, it's a lot like, it feels like when you're in a, a, a 3D platformer, level that you've explored a million times like you know inside and out and there's just that like one room there that has like a door that doesn't go to anything you can't open the door it's just a decorative it's a decorative part of the wall and but but when you're a kid you're like man wouldn't it be cool to be able to open that door i wonder what's in that room like uh that's what it's like when you finally get to go into the depths of this of the fairy uh, and explore it. It, bra- it breaks down that like adult logic center of your brain where you're like, well, I know nothing's back there because they wouldn't code anything back there. It is just nothing, right? Uh, in fact, the Fairy of the Damned is just actually taking place underneath the Sea of Thieves because that's where they physically have put it. It's not a se- you know you know stuff like that that I feel like when you get so clinical about it, scientific about it, it harms the magic of the experience itself so it, it it is kind of like taking you back to childhood where we're playing banjo kazooie and we're like what's behind that door how do i get there the, oh stop and swap there must be this chain of events that opens up an entirely new world right behind there this actually lets you have that feeling where you get to see much more of the sea of the damned and the fairy of the damned and it does it also in a way that marries it with immediately Pirates of the Caribbean lore and uh, broader Disney lore, too. Because when you're sailing into the Sea of the Damned, like, the mysterious castaway, uh, sh- she opens up this portal, which is the same kind of portals, roughly, that the... Um, ships of the damned that you fight in ghost ship battles or the flameheart battles uh that the portals they come through it's the same kind of portal you're going through but you get to sail your physical ship through there in our case the galleon the dreadfully evil uh we we sailed it through the portal and then we're sailing the dreadfully evil on the sea of the damned for the first time and as we're doing that we see all of these rowboats on the on the sea 
which is a direct callback to the Pirates of the Caribbean movies when they are on what's ostensibly the Sea of the Damned. They don't call it as such there, but um, for example, Kira Knightley sees her father, um, excuse me, Elizabeth Swan sees her father there, and that's how she knows her father has died or had been murdered or executed if she sees him on this rowboat on, on the Sea of the Damned. And so bringing those in immediately connects those two worlds, and you're like, oh, Okay, that that is like a direct link between the two. Here we go. Um, which which I think was kind of important too, because for anyone playing for that Disney content, it's not going to be immediately apparent in this first tall tale. It's kind of a slow burn. Yeah, definitely. And and uh, then you get to the island and you start exploring in the uh, kind of caverns and and uh, tunnels of uh, which which is called the Dead Man's Grotto. Um, and audio from the Disneyland theme park attraction, Pirates of the Caribbean, which the films are based off of, uh, these tall tales reference those films, but they also heavily reference the theme park attraction. Um, and we have audio, like original 1960s audio from the ride, uh, that is kind of like if you were on the ride, like in the queue, uh, kind of getting loaded and stuff. There's like a, uh, a spooky voiceover that's like, you know, telling you to keep your hands in the ride and watch out for stowaways. And, and it's, it's all thematic, uh, and it's all spooky. Uh, but they, they put that audio right in the game. And so, um, this is another cool thing because it's like what we just said, the childlike, uh, desire when you're in a game to be able to go beyond the boundaries uh and and see what's there even though it, you know it, logically you know there is nothing there uh it, there's the same kind of feeling on a theme park ride which is that you are forced to be on rails and only see what is presented to you on the rails of the ride but what you really want to do is go off the rails and go explore off the path and so this is like you're being you're in the ride, but you have full range of motion. You can run mm-hmm. around, and you've got these ghosts, and the you know the dead men tell no tales, and they say that about yeah, ten thousand so, times. Yeah, you hear that about ten thousand times, and that see, Jeff, you and I never uh, rode the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. We like I've never been to any Disney theme park in my life. When I was a kid, my grandparents lived in Florida, just like a little bit out of Orlando, right? So they, and they lived there for three years. So I visited Florida three summers in a row, and I always had a choice. Do you want to go to Disney World? And I, being the fucking little hipster that I was, said, no, it's beneath me. <laughs> and I, so we we went to like Universal Studios. I got to visit Nickelodeon Studios. I saw Mark Summers in his makeup chair, host of Double Dare. Jeff, it was the coolest thing in my little life at that point. Uh, so so I, I, didn't, I don't uh, regret. I didn't. I didn't do so. I I did go to Disney World when I was uh, three years old, which is not the best time in your life to go to a Disney park. No, um, no, you can't appreciate anything. And also, uh, we were financially a lot worse off uh, later in my childhood than we were very early in my childhood. 
uh, the kind of economic slump of, of, of the early, early 2000s. And, uh, yeah, going to theme parks and traveling across the country was just not something we did. Uh, it, it, it wasn't something we could, uh, afford to do. So I, I feel like, you know, flying all the way to California, especially like if we were going to go, it would have been Florida. Um, but especially going all the way to California, it was just off the table. It was, yeah, we, we did much more, uh, low key local things when we went on vacation, camp, camping trips, uh, yeah. And, and, and I feel like, so I, I know that the devs at Rare, a lot of them, love the theme park ride and, and super attached to it, super inspired by it. And I just didn't have that experience as a kid. Um, and it, it cracks me up that we, we are two Americans who have never ridden the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. And yet all of these uh, people in the UK are like, yeah, it's been an important part of my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, i've never been across the ocean so uh that's just yeah it's a it totally You've been foreign. underneath the ocean though you know i've been underneath the ocean on the ferry of the diver. damned because <laughs> um, the ferry of the damned is underneath the ocean where the, that's where they put it in the geometry anyway uh no so i think that if i had been on the ride as a kid i feel like i would be as obsessed with it as everyone else seems to be i feel like i would have bought right in uh, everything about it the kind of immersive uh world building aspect of it is just something i didn't get to experience as a kid and it's just and um it's it's the kind of thing that made me fall in love with rare games like donkey kong country but it's a physical ride you can be in the world of um and i think that the closest i ever got to that like the only experience that really is a similar feeling uh that i ever was able to do would be like a haunted house attraction yeah. uh which oh, can yeah, be a sure. similar level of like live action immersive experience which might be why today i'm a huge fan of horror media and horror films um and i think that maybe if i'd gone to disneyland i'd feel that way about these rides um but for me, this is a lot of this is like I get to experience the ride a little bit like secondhand by playing it in Sea of Thieves. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I didn't realize that at first that a lot of this first tall tale was a direct homage to the ride. I figured it out due to the incessant spamming of the dead man tell no tales audio clip because I was like that audio clip. And I said this on the stream. I said, is that from the ride? Because that has the cadence of a Californian man in the 1960s. <laughs> um, <laughs> it did. It, it did not sound like anything else in Sea of Thieves. It had that kind of um, sort of hacky, uh, I am an a I'm an actor, man. Uh, I, I, I've just had uh, three martinis and now I'm going to the uh, recording booth. Um you know, it, it had that sort of quality to it that really felt true to the Disney of that era. And 
Yeah, that, that's how I figured it out. It was through through that context clue. And like a day or two later, you actually linked me to the YouTube video of the ride itself where I got to I got to watch it as best you can on YouTube because it's it's really hard to capture the immersion. Yeah, when you don't you have control a, of your point of view. You can't like, yeah. look around. Um, so, so a lot of the like context is missing, but I got to actually see the Pirates of the Caribbean ride play out, which was, I think, invaluable towards at least me understanding what they're homaging here. That's not to say this isn't enjoyable if you don't have that context, but I think you do miss the enjoyment of seeing the dev team play out their love for the ride um, without knowing where that actually comes into play. And they reference the ride a lot more uh, throughout later tales as well. I think, it for me, it works the best here. In this first tale, in this grotto uh, with the spooky voiceover and the ghosts, um, it is treated with the right level of, like, uh, self-seriousness. And not that I think that Sea of Thieves is a game that has to take itself super seriously. Um but when you're when you're hearing the yo ho yo ho song ten thousand times on repeat and <laughs> and and Car- and Carlos the mayor uh, drowning in the well, that's that goes a little <laughs> bit beyond uh, the tone maybe that that I think fits Sea of Thieves. But in here, it it works in the Dead Man's Grotto. Uh, and 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 you mentioned that the the voiceover guy. Um, another thing that was really cool is that they actually have some new lines that they recorded in these areas. And they recorded them on vintage 1960s hardware, like microphones. Yeah. So that it had the same, like, audio quality to it and tone. Um, but you go through the grotto, and, and as you go through, you pass through, like, the giant pile of treasure, which is a famous set piece from the ride. Um, but, but the ghosts that you're seeing along the way are kind of telling this story. This crew uh, has stolen this treasure and is like, uh, lugging it through the caverns until they eventually pile it up in this pile. And at, at each step of the way, the crew is dwindling one by one as the captain betrays and kills off members of his own crew until he's like the last one standing and he, he's just a skeleton on a throne on a pile of gold. Um, it's really good environmental or like subtle storytelling. It's it's like a story you can totally miss if you're not just like soaking up every detail as you go like we do. Yeah, I like honestly I don't know how these would be received if you aren't like super attentive to the detail and trying to soak in every little aspect of it cuz I I would imagine a lot of this just blows right by you, like especially the environmental storytelling. And, and I, it's it's also hard I think because Sea of Thieves is generally in a shared server. So you're always kind of keeping one eye, you know, to the side, like, and and so it's kind of hard to retrain the brain to just focus on the story being told you're safe here, more or less. Right. Um, And it's a multiplayer. You have your, you have your friends there and they're chit chatting over, over, over the top of all the dialogue and everything. Like, yeah, I I remember uh, Andrew, like, kept uh, playing with the skull or something <laughs> and w- which was like eventually I was, I was like stop i can't i can't pay attention if you keep clanging that thing um so uh like i said i was very crabby that day um but yeah i mean it, it is uh, a different way to experience well, it's, it's okay the game. i don't think andrew remembers that day 
because he was uh, he had just had his wisdom teeth out. <laughs> and and he and he said afterwards he's like I'm going to have to do that tale again sometime cuz I have no memory of it whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. So, um oh, but yeah, it, it is like it's one thing for us to experience it. I have to wonder like what the um, other see if these players who maybe don't like get into the lore as much thought about this but well, i think that they're, they're, even if they're missing out on like the full depth of details and and soaking it all in they're still getting vibes atmosphere uh visuals i think that you know there's a lot to love here even if you're not taking your time and not soaking it in but you get through the grotto and you open up into the wide open uh little pirate town with the lighthouse and all these pirate shipwrecks and, and little buildings. And it's called uh sailor's grave. And it's this place mm-hmm. where the lighthouse has been deactivated. And so ships that are arriving in the sea of the damned are just like crashing to shore because there's no lighthouse. Uh, and it's just a bunch of ghosts. A little, little ghosty, little ghosty town. So yeah, this this is the first for a couple things in Sea of Thieves, uh, the first real town environment we've ever seen. Um, you know, because we have the outpost, but they are outposts; they are not actual towns. Uh, this this is kind of the the first uh, time we have seen um, a little seaside village, and you've got a lighthouse there too. First time we've ever had a lighthouse in Sea of Thieves, uh, which which seems surprising when you consider that it is a game set on the ocean going from island to island but i mean there's no need for a lighthouse you know um so why why would you have it well now now there's a a chance to play with all of that um which was which was quite fun um i i did really like the lighthouse and the town and the uh the cursed captain uh who is at this point just the talking skull Yes, the cursed captain is great because, um, so you, you find this skull that's like up in a cage and he's like, you know, get up here and let me out. And so you, you do, it takes a little bit of platforming, uh, to, to get up there a little bit of maybe puzzle solving with moving around these pulleys to like make the platforms move. And then you get there and you get them and, and now you can carry the skull around in your hand that just, uh, talks to you and says funny lines and it will kind of react to everywhere you go you take it to different places in this little town and it tells little stories or reacts to everything and he's it's like a little comedy man he's a little comedy skull boy man (laughs) and 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 he's great and we and uh he also is just this really like over the top pirate like a piratey pirate in a way that sea of thieves shies away from sea of thieves they rarely go like full piratey pirate like Captain Barbosa, uh, because uh, if you had to listen to that kind of dialogue all the time, that would be the most annoying person in the world. Uh, if 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 every pirate talked like that all the time, it would be unbearable. Most people in Sea of Thieves just talk with a kind of normal-ish British accent, uh, slight slight accent, but like. Uh, this works because it's like the first and only character that is giving us this over-the-top pirate caricature. 
Well, there's a reason that, that a lot of people initially think this is Barbosa, the, the character from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, um, because he is uh, a lot in the same mold as that very traditional yeah, you, cartoon You insisted pirate. he was Barbosa the whole time we were playing. You're just like, oh, this is Barbosa. You're just like, uh, when are they going to tell us this is Barbosa? It's obviously Barbosa, and I'm like, I mean, like, I mean, uh, yeah, because they they also weren't telling us his name. He was just the Curse Captain, which is usually a way, uh, you know, to, to kind of sort of not. It not sounds very like they're hiding gracefully. Something. Yeah, it's like the Castaway was obviously clearly hiding another Pirates of the Caribbean character. So I was like, this is Barbosa, right? Uh, it turns out, no, it's not. Uh, but it's nobody. It's it's the cursed nobody. captain. That's all it is. Um, yeah, which is which was surprising that they just didn't give him a name then. It was just the cursed captain. But okay, well, okay, whatever. So so the goal here then is, uh, you've got to light the lighthouse because that is going to allow the ferryman on the ferry of the dam to find this place. And when he arrives, when the light is lit, uh, all of the ghosts can finally get on board. And you can kind of go ahead and do this, uh, but what makes this tale so great is there's this elaborate side quest. This is, I think, one of my favorite innovations of these tall tales that they've done compared to previous tall tales, and uh, and this tale does it the best. It almost sets you up for disappointment uh, because the rest of the tales don't have anything this cool, Uh, but it is... Instead of an arbitrary commendation that is rewarding you for repeating a tale, uh, which all the previous tales have done, you had to do the tale five times to get the commendation, or you had to do the tale three times. This These tales don't do that, which is great. They encourage repetition more naturally uh, because they have the hidden journals, You're gonna say, which unless you're sailing with me, uh, you're going to probably struggle to find them all because I, I found them all and I just was able to show you this is a journal don't miss it um but if you were playing by yourself like you'd probably have to do the tale two or three times uh to find all the journals and also to do these side quests that they've put in here little side challenges and things you need to complete and uh the one in this tale is amazing uh because it is just a series of puzzles that take you around exploring the different little nooks and crannies of this town and um like I don't, uh, you have to dig up uh, poor Dougie, the <laughs> this like talking skeleton who uh, is hilarious. I don't know how to describe him. Um, I, I think that the, the people they, they probably want you to think of the cursed captain as like the breakout character of this tale, but for me, it's poor Dougie. For um, me, it's Sticklicker Steve. Oh my god, I forgot about Sticklicker Steven. Oh. Yeah, so in the tavern on Sailor's Grave, one of the NPCs is this guy. It's a, it's a ghost. They're all ghosts. And there's this ghost who's just, like, sitting at the table, like, I, I think he's supposed to maybe be picking his teeth with a, a stick, but it looks like he's just licking the stick. He's, he's, he's got, he's like, a in little his mouth. wooden stick, and he's just licking a stick. And, and we're like... What? And we, 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 like, the, the stream stopped at that point, and we just all stood around trying to figure out what this guy was doing. So we called him Sticklicker Steven. Um, and 
then the rest of the stream just became about stick liquor steven at that and point what's great is you you once you've like latched on to one of these ghost npcs uh because i didn't even notice this at first until the stick liquor steven became this like character we recognized uh is that throughout the tale from that point on every time you hit a like uh little set piece where all the ghosts are doing something it's actually all the same ghosts because we would see yeah. stick liquor Steven in this new set of ghosts. And we're like, Oh, Hey, he went from the tavern, but now he's standing at the ship and Oh, now he's on the ferry of the damned. He's going to come back to life. Stick liquor Steven lives. And like, we're just following this guy. We're like, that's stick liquor Steven. We all just would go nuts. Like he's still here. Oh man. I forgot all about that. How could you forget about that? It was it was like the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, except it was a guy licking a stick. Um, we we were just the the teenage girls in the crowd screaming. Yes, yeah, Stephen Mania. Um, so <laughs> you go around, you dig up poor Dougie. You're looking for a medallion. You're looking for uh, a hidden key to open a chest. Blah 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 blah. You do a bunch of stuff, and and these little set pieces around the town are also reenactments of scenes from the ride. You have the old, like, skeleton man lying in the bed, in, like, the bedchamber. You have, like, the two skeletons playing chess. And that brings us into another great point, because uh, it turns out that one of the skeletons playing chess is Captain Bones of yeah, Sea of Captain Thieves Bones. and Battletoads fame. Uh, yeah, Captain Bones, who is essentially, uh, I describe him to people who aren't familiar, as the Mr. Pants of Sea of Thieves because he started off as this uh, internet invention, this promotional invention that Rare used uh, on social media uh, in the early days before Sea of Thieves was even released. It was Ask Captain Bones, right? Uh, that was their Twitter account. And it was, I think, mostly Greg Mails who was doing the Captain Bones account. Um, and, and so Captain Bones kind of became this comedic figure uh, right down to the shit name which is similar to Mr. Pants, who used to be the mascot of Rare's website. And so uh, Captain Bones does appear in Sea of Thieves credits, and he's referenced in-game a couple times. It's like you can buy a tankard that was owned by Captain Bones, for example. But, um, you know, there was still some question, does that count as a physical appearance? And And we said yes, back when Battletoads 2020 came out, because Captain Bones does appear in Battletoads, and um, and then we're like, well, this makes Battletoads 2020 DKU. That was one of those controversial rulings we made, but I don't regret it. But here you go, Captain Bones physically appears, not in the flesh so much, but he physically appears in Sea of Thieves in the context of the game itself. And then his head explodes. Uh, then his head explodes. So, so I didn't even get that this was Captain Bones at first. That kind of flew right by me, because um, he drank this. Because um, we we knew this, we this, had Captain Bones like special rum recipe, right? And that he that you this, caught that reference, but it's it's yes. w- when we make him drink it that the dialogue uh, spells out that that was Captain Bones and who just did that. Yeah, and you just made his head blow up. Now, this doesn't mean that Captain Bones canonically... Well, he's, he's already dead, but you know what I mean. Like, it doesn't... 
he can come back from this um, just fine. And and if if you follow the canon into Battletoads 2020, which I realize the most ardent Sea of Thieves fan would say, well, that's not that. Wh- why does that count? Well, it counts for DK Vine, the DKU. So Captain Bones bounces back from this little setback of his head blowing up. Um, but considering he is in the Sea of the Damned anyway, it's all very malleable. You know, um, we see Stick Licker Steven come back. And we see other characters come back from the dead later on in the series of Tall Tales. So Captain Bones can can make his way back. So what I like about this side quest of these little, they're really just kind of ambient puzzles. As you're going around, you could discover these little things and you're like, oh, what? There's like this special rum here. What is that going to be used for? Oh, whoa, this, this, uh... This character is reading a map. I wonder if I go dig up that X, what am I going to find there? Oh, oh, okay. Like you're finding these things. And, and as you're kind of exploring the environment and like just observing things, you start to realize how these various pieces of inventory like link to one another and you do it all in, you know, you know, you sequence it all together to complete it. Um, it feels a lot like a classic point and click adventure where you're juggling inventory. Um, that oh, you maybe yeah. you, you're picking up these random items, and then you're like, "Well, I I found the watermelon. I wonder what a watermelon will be used for later." Uh, and and like you're just kind of talking to dialogue, you're getting dialogue and, and observing things, trying to piece together what you're meant to do with these inventory items. Um, and it is very apropos that it is evoking the feeling of a point and click adventure because. The ultimate payoff for completing this side quest is you open up a secret path to a little island with an Easter egg on it, uh, referencing the Secret of Monkey Island franchise, the old LucasArts point-click adventures. Yeah, uh, which is, of course, now owned by Disney. And I wish... I was a Monkey Island fan because I know there is a strong contingent in our community going all the way back to the founding of DK Vine, the the old timey staff who weren't me, uh, loved Monkey Island, right? And I, I would just, I just never, never gave it the time of day. You know, you know how I am, Jeff. But um, I, I know that uh, you know a lot of the reasons people love donkey kong country 2 for the the thematic reasons right uh is present and accounted for in the monkey island games so for a dku game to finally explicitly reference and revel in monkey island even in this little like corner of this tall tale is a huge deal for a lot of people um and while i couldn't personally experience that just like i couldn't personally experience uh, the nostalgia for the ride, for example, it is cool to see people who are fans of that kind of get theirs. You know, um, I, I always take joy in seeing other fans of things kind of get to nerd out a little bit. And so that, that was definitely um, special. Yeah. And I, I think that in the long like lineage of pirate fantasy media, there's a certain a heritage is a certain, uh, uh, you know, family tree almost of of pirate fantasy media. It all draws back into some of the same big pillar milestones of of that genre over time, uh, which does include the theme park ride of Pirates of the Caribbean. 
and it includes Mon- the Monkey Island uh, game. Uh, it includes the Pirates of the Caribbean films, and I would say I would say very definitively that Sea of Thieves is now a milestone in that lineage. Um, but for it to be able to cross pollinate with these things that are such heavy influences on it, that are such big uh, pillars of that history of pirate media. Um, it's cool. And, uh, you get Robin Beanland doing a remix of the theme song. You get little journals, uh, to read that are explicitly, uh, tying in some characters, uh, and, and referencing stuff from the games and then implying that, uh, uh, that Guybrush Threepwood, uh, at least has made, made, made it a plan and an attempt to go to the Sea of Thieves. We don't know if he, that if he ever succeeded. Um, it's cool. And 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 when I said before that this side quest sets you up almost for disappointment with the future tales, this is part of it too because <clears throat> um, the payoff, the payoff for doing this long sequence of little like puzzles is not just like oh you completed the puzzles check off that commendation the payoff is you get to go to this little side island and hear this music remix and read all these journals and get all this lore the payoff is this huge bit of like actual payoff it's not just checking off a box in the commendation menu um mm-hmm. and that it is it, so well executed this is probably Maybe the best tale in terms of just a complete satisfying experience and in a cool, like, little area and and well-designed, well-laid-out, explorable location. It's it's funny you say that considering the headspace I was in. This was the tall tale I actually enjoyed the least. Intellectually, I see it. Emotionally, I enjoyed maybe three of the other tall tales way more than this. It just cracks me up how, you know, how much of it is just down to how you were feeling that day, what kind of headspace you were in. Um, but, but I do see what you're saying, Jeff. I don't disagree with you. It, it just emotionally, like the second tall tale, uh, because I had a good experience, which I realized a lot of players didn't, um, just beat out this tall tale, by a wide margin it, it, it just just one of those things um but i feel like the monkey island stuff also set some people up for disappointment Spe- specifically disney fans who are coming into this and then they saw there was in addition to the pirates of the caribbean ride and film references there was this monkey's island thing so all of a sudden like all of disney becomes up for grabs right like are we gonna get some peter pan stuff some captain hook stuff neverland uh not the the realm not the michael jackson ranch um are are we gonna get uh i don't know little mermaid is 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 ursula gonna be in this uh no no it, it it's it's not um which I, I think suits me just fine because I feel like they picked and choosed what references and what franchises to reference. Uh, they were in some ways very conservative about it, you know? Um, and if this was just uh, 
an all hands on deck, everything from Disney that we can get in here. Uh, we're going to get in there kind of smorgasbord. Then I feel like it would have detracted a little bit from the story they were telling. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I, I think that it is a less is more approach and, and that works for this because obviously the focus needs to be front and center um, on the Pirates of the Caribbean, how do we make that feel natural with the Sea of Thieves lore and the Sea of Thieves story that we're trying to tell? Because the story involves, it deeply, intricately is tied into Sea of Thieves characters and lore. It's not all just a Pirates of the Caribbean story that's happening in Sea of Thieves. And so that had yes. to be where the focus was. And having this Monkey Island thing, it feels more like, well, we had the opportunity and we love it. And we know our fans love it, and we had to take our chance to include this, but it is not meant to be the focus. It's not meant to distract from what else is happening. It is a purely fan service uh, present to to ourselves, the dev team, and to the fans. Like it's for you know, and, and that's how I feel like they they approached it. Um, like they're just like this is something everyone's gonna love, but but we but it's not going to distract from what our focus is on the story we're trying to tell. Um, I think by literally having it be a side island, it, it really helped communicate that. Like, oh, you know, it, it it allowed the fan service to be there without it being distracting or to completely cause the story to kind of come to a halt. Um, so, yeah. So then, yeah, you, you, you light the you light the lighthouse. The fairy man comes. The fairy of the damned comes. All the ghosts in the village are finally like, yeah, we can we can finally pass on. We can board the ship, uh, but we cannot board the ship. We as players cannot board the ship because we are not ghosts. We are physical fleshies that have entered the sea of the damned through a portal, and so we have to find a way to sneak on. We're going to, like, stow away on the Ferry of the Dam by rowboating up from behind. And, yeah. uh, but if, if you're, if you're, like, if, if you don't just jump ahead and go right for the finish line, you can actually go down to the dock and interact with a, uh, spooky wraith. The wraiths yeah. that are, like, I, I guess the the bureaucrats of the sea of the damned like they're like they work for the ferryman we've seen these characters kind of in insignias and in sculptures but we've never seen a wraith in sea of thieves these they look like grim reapers um yeah and they, and, and, and they that have to really be is grim reapers yeah it, yeah it's exciting so you know the the way the as you said bureaucracy of death works in not only just Sea of Thieves, but let, let's go broader into what we call the Donkeyong universe or the shared rare universe. Um, we know there are multiple Grim Reapers. Um, there's one in Grab by the Ghoulies. Of course, Greg uh, from Off of Conquer is more of the animal catcher, dog catcher of Grim Reapers. And, and this really kind of helps connect those dots a little bit. Well, what's the ferryman then? Well, he works with these wraiths, which look like Grim Reapers. So that was kind of one of those aha, finally moments where you get a little bit of continuity 
massaging there. Because we know the ferryman made a deal with Ramsey, the pirate lord, to basically save the life of pirates who were in the Sea of Thieves and, and have this continual cycle of death and rebirth. So you're kind of circumventing the natural order just a bit, which is also how they would later introduce Davy Jones, um, who is a similar character in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, but I'm jumping ahead. Right. So we board uh, the ferry yeah. and we are able to, uh, because we've, we've picked up this lantern of souls or, or flame, uh, uh, the flame of souls. And we use it to like light lanterns, uh, throughout the tail, I, I think. Uh, yeah. And then you use it to light the well of fates on the ferry, which just overloads the system and blows it up. And then we we have a way to access the lower decks of the ferry. You blow a hole in the, the, the grating of the ferry of the damned. You can now finally go beneath decks. And, and it, you know, we weren't even sure there was anything beneath decks beforehand but here we go uh it was such a cool moment right like like i said it's kind of like indulging that childlike sense of wonder like oh i wish i could explore the whole fairy of the damned here we go you get to do it here this is i mean for me an even more exciting payoff than the monkey island stuff not being a monkey island fan i didn't really get anything personally out of that but being a sea of thieves fan and and playing the game in different permutations since 2016 to finally get to explore the entirety of the Fairy of the Damned. It, it, it was it was the highlight for me. Yeah, I, it. So it's not the highlight for me because uh, I just love the whole island to explore before that, and the getting to the fairy part is just like. I'm not saying I didn't enjoy that, um, but yeah, no, as I, far I, yeah. as the fan fan servicey part of it, this was the fan servicey part of it for me. Right. Yeah. And then then we do uh, get the big uh, payoff that was not a surprise at all, but it's what we've been building up to, which is that the prisoner in the hold of the ferry is Captain Jack Sparrow, and we're gonna release him. Uh, we're gonna meddle in the ferryman's affairs, uh, and he's not happy. Um, and and what what happens? Uh, it, immediately bad stuff because we get attacked by the flying uh, Dutchman with Davy Jones, and Jack Sparrow has some kind of artifact, a golden thing that uh, when he arrived on the ferry of the damned in the first place, the ferryman was like. Whoa, you have that shit? That is dangerous. So he locked him up, and we come in and we release him, and the very first thing that happens is Davy Jones shows up and steals it. Uh, which is bad. We just don't, at this moment, we don't know what it is, why it's bad, but also Jack Sparrow falls off uh, the ferry into the Sea of the Damned, and uh, so we, we didn't even get to rescue him. Like, that guy's gone. I, I feel like you're bearing the lead a little bit there. Jack Sparrow is dead. He died. Oh, yeah. He's a ghost man. Uh, he, he has died. Yeah. In the Sea of the Thieves. Yeah. So that's why he was on the Ferry of the Damned is he died. And 
and then he got locked up because he has this device that uh, the ferryman was like, that's no good. You're a problem. Can't let you come back to life. So he locked him up. And um, and then at this point, yeah, Jack Sparrow falls into the Sea of the Dan. What becomes of Jack Sparrow? Well, we have to wait a little bit longer uh, for that. Uh, we return to... Basically, the, the, the ferryman's like... Um, all right, I'll 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 allow this. I I won't hold it against you. Um uh this time, you know. And um we get we had taken back to our ship, right? I forget how it ends. Uh we would have to go back to our ship. We wouldn't just go back cuz we're still alive, so he just does he just drop us off at our ship and tells us to get out? Uh I think <laughs> I think I that what remember. happened was you know, I should remember because I have played all of these tales ten times uh, co- to, compared to your one times. But uh, what I think happened was you go through the ferry door and you respawn back on your ship, which is still in the Sea of the Damned. And then we sail okay. back through the tunnels of the Damned, back through the portal, I think. Okay, okay. Yeah. I should know that. Because it's a little bit more complicated. Yeah, because your ship is still in the Sea of the Damned, and you're not technically dead, so you can't just go back through the ferry door as normal. Um, so, the, yeah. But 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 basically, you get back to the Sea of Thieves. However it happened, we don't really remember. But that's, that's the end of the first tale. And the second tale uh, takes a completely different route. And in fact, uh, aside from... Uh, one or two major things is more homegrown lore than than the first one was, where it this is mostly stuff spinning out of Sea of Thieves versus, you know, let's let's take a, a meandering tour through Disney. Um and that's the Sunken Pearl, which if you can't gather from the name, uh is referring to Jack Sparrow's ship. How did Jack Sparrow die? Well his ship sunk. Uh, how did a ship sink? Well, we're going to find out. Right, and so we, we went to the sea to try and rescue this prisoner because they might be the only way we can stop some vague impending doom that we don't yet know the details of. And we lost that guy. We just lost him in the sea. So the next step is, well, maybe we can go explore his shipwreck where the ship went down because uh, the Black Pearl shipwreck might have his a famous magic compass. And yeah. that's the next step. We're going to go look for his ship. Because if we have the magic compass, we can be pointed to our heart's desire, which can help us get back to Jack Sparrow, maybe, potentially, and 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 solve this uh, conundrum. So, yeah, the, uh, the Sunken Pearl Tall Tale takes place in the shared server of Sea of Thieves. It, it takes place on the map. You're not going to this little corralled area uh, where it's just you and your crew. This is uh, somewhere... Uh, is it always the same spot on the map, yeah. or does it... Yeah, okay. yeah it's in, there's a location in the southwest of the map, uh, past Old Salt's Atoll, that is just like where this underwater area is. And... This, for me, is the big news item with this tale, uh, is that they kind of advertise these tales, I think, a little disingenuously. I think that maybe they lean too heavy into the notion that 
look, we, we've got portals that let you go to a private server instance when in reality only two out of the five tails uh, utilize that. And I think a lot of people kind of, whether, you know, I, I, I don't think that they outright lied or anything, but people got the wrong impression and assumed that every tail let you and your crew go to a separate story mode instance and be left alone to your own devices. And it's not true. Uh, and in fact, you can and probably did get attacked by other crews while trying to do this. And that can leave a sour taste in anyone's mouth. But more more uh, importantly was that, especially during that first week or two of the, of the update, um, in this tale being so early in the sequence, it became a bottleneck point where... Yeah. Everyone on a server was trying to do the Sunken Pearl tail at the same time. But you all have to go to this one location, and if you're running into other crews at that at that place, uh, it breaks the tail because you'll, you'll be progressing through a room trying to solve a puzzle on how to progress to the next room, but a crew just came through 10 minutes ahead of you and solved all the puzzle, and now the door doesn't open, or like everything's already open, or whatever. And it and it really killed that experience for a lot of people. And or people, you know, there were people going there and just spawn ki- killing you. Like they'd go to the spot, especially because you go through one uh, sequence, uh, and then you go back out into the open sea, and you go into another sequence, another. Uh, tower to explore uh but in that moment you loop back on the the location like you loop back to where people who are earlier in the tale will be coming in and so there's this moment where the tale even forces you uh to be in the same place as someone else who's in that tale like you loop back on your own path and run into other players and it's it was just honestly it was a clusterfuck and uh i think it should have been seen coming. Um, but, uh, you know, that being said, after a few weeks, it is loosened up. Like, less people are trying to do it all at the same time. Now, the odds of two people trying to do that tale at the same time are very low. Um, yeah. So, when we did it on stream, which is my first time doing it, um, we didn't have the problem, although we got there before another crew did. So that crew was having the problem that all these people were having, except we were causing it for them. Um, and there are a couple of points where we were like, I think we just need to hit a checkpoint and server hop, but we stuck through it and, and it worked out fine for us, but, um, we could hear this other crew behind us and occasionally they were shouting out to us and we were having some back and forth <laughs> discussion, some discourse, uh, as we were going through, um, ultimately they did sink our ship, uh, topside, but it's okay because we stole their ship. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, that, yeah, that was fun, I think- but, uh. In the end, it kind of worked out, although I also think it probably kind of didn't, because if you look at the the numbers for, like, tail completions, there's, like, a drop-off after this tail. Uh, there, there's a big drop-off after the first tail. A lot less people completed the second tail than the first tail, and that's naturally going to happen. You're going to have oh, yeah. people who drop off. But I think that the way that they made it made people drop off 
and it probably turned away players that would have become Sea of Thieves players that hit this frustration point and quit playing Sea of Thieves forever because they came in as a brand new player. This is the experience they had. And then they said, this sucks. Um, And it's a real shame because this is my favorite tale out of these five. I said that the first one I I said might be the best one, but it's, that's actually my second favorite one. Uh, This one is my favorite tale and I love everything about it when it goes off without a hitch but just the fact that the way it's built basically makes it impossible not to break it if another crew is there at the same time it's frustrating um so i hope i just hope it's like a learning opportunity uh because it's it's really avoidable um and more than that what i really wish they would have done is just made it a private server like the other tale and uh i think that in the future they ought to make every tale that way because I love the shared world of Sea of Thieves and I love that the, the chaos that other crews bring to a voyage. But when you're trying to soak in dialogue and you're trying to search for journals and you're trying to solve puzzles, that is not when you want another crew to be harassing you. It doesn't oh, add yeah. to the experience ever. It 0% adds to your enjoyment. In a normal voyage, being attacked can add to it. In a tall tale, it cannot add to it. It can only take away from your fun. And I hope they just don't do it again. Make them private. In in an alternate timeline, this would have been me. Like, I would have been so soured based on what happened to us on, on this tale that this would have been my least favorite. Because it took me I had six tries. Experience. It took me like five or six tries oh my God. To, to complete it my first time. Because uh, I was trying to complete it on the day it launched, and uh, oh my god! And I and and literally we got to a point where we would have three people load into three separate servers and all sail to that location, just hoping that one of the three of us would find it where no one else is there. And if they did, then yeah. we'd all join that person. And it took so many tries. It was, um, yeah, it was it was tough. Um, but we we did finish it, and it is my favorite tale. So it's a. I think it's. I think it's my favorite too, or it's it's at least tied right up there with my favorite. Uh, this this is aside from the shared server stuff. This is, I think, a spectacular use of stuff that we have been wanting to see in the game, of of stuff that we're finally getting in the game, both mechanically and lore wise. And it's also just unlike anything we had seen in the game up until this point. Um, This was exciting. And I I did this with you, Cameron, and Dre. And it was just, um, it it, it was good fun from beginning to end for me. Um, And also I'd slept. Yeah, I think it's the exact right. Yeah, that's a good thing. I think this adds just like the right amount of like, there's a little bit of puzzle. There's a lot of lore. There's um, a lo- like a good mix of like combat and these big set piece moments. It's like a little taste of everything you want, and and it is the one. I and I go back and forth on naming my favorites with these because I think some of them are absolutely excellent as a one time experience 
that satisfies you but is not fun to replay because mm-hmm. you've gotten out of it everything you want to get out of it. This is the one that I will replay. Like, well, this one and, and the fifth one. Um, but this one is my favorite to replay. And it's because, like, all of the little combat moments are super satisfying. This, like, kind of almost like boss fight set pieces. And also, I just adore the Siren lore, the Siren Queen, um, and the, the coral uh, locations that we're exploring. The Siren Citadel, the Siren Spire. The- is this the Sunken Kingdom? Is that the name of this place? Or Yeah, so any place with uh, underwater siren structures is like, that's part of the Sunken Kingdom. And um, okay. the, so we, we are, we explore and we find the Black Pearl, but the voice, the disembodied voice, this voice kind of psychically calling out to us in our heads of, uh, uh, from an unknown source lures us into these siren structures only to spring a trap and we find out it is this malicious uh siren queen that is try they they the sirens take shipwrecks like the black pearl and they take them in and they make it a part of their structures they build these ships into their buildings and things and um and and this pays off so, uh, a little lore element that had been building in the months previous where uh, we had all of these merchant ships that were being taken out and this is where the um wh- what what are the voyages called um lost what, what, uh, lost shipments lost shipments right um some something was sinking these merchant ships and uh come to find out it was the sirens yeah, so the sirens have been awoken after having, for the most part, been like dormant in the Sea of Thieves. And presumably what woke them is maybe the arrival of Davy Jones. Uh, we're, we're not really sure, I think. But uh, they are working with Davy Jones. I don't know if we even really know this at this point in the story. But but essentially, I, I we we've, we've been pulled into their trap and we've got to fight for our lives and we climb the spire you doing these puzzles where they've got these uh, merfolk statues. And th- there's like three statues in the room. One of them is holding a chain. One of them is holding uh, like a little ball in their hand, like a, a gem or a ball. And one of them is holding this like squiggly coral thing. And just to save... T- and, they, and they do this puzzle a million times throughout this tale and, a, and another tale. Which is that somewhere in the room is a mural on the wall showing each of those statues with their arm, their other arm, positioned in one of three positions, up, down, or middle. And then you have to go around and interact with the statue to set it to where it matches the mural. And when everything matches the mural, it's kind of like putting in a a, a code, uh, like on your, you know, luggage or whatever. And then you hit the statue with a, with a, a horn, a, a shell horn, and it blows the horn yeah. and it activates something magic. That, you know, the the room will fill with water and you can progress up to a higher ledge now because the water raised. It's a very Zelda-y kind of puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, and to save... Because yeah. t- we had to do this puzzle a million times, we had to save time when describing, like, 
these three statues. So one is holding a chain and a ball and a, and a, and a coral. And so their names were uh, Chain, Ball, and Squiggly. Those were the names we gave mm-hmm. them. And he had to say, all right, uh, okay, I got Chain. Chain is set. I set him in his position. Who's got Squiggly? And and that's just the names that have stuck. Right. Yeah. Um, and th- this is also... I. This is the introduction or or the proper introduction of the ocean crawlers, uh, which are the first significant new enemy class in the game um, alongside the uh, the other elements that have been added um, since skellies were uh, like added in the technical alpha. Right. Like way back when. But um, yeah, the the ocean crawlers and the sirens, they're all kind of a unit right they're all interlinked and um that's that's what what's really cool about all this lore coming into play finally because we knew sirens were going to be a thing like there had been stuff alluded to early on um i i like in the um expanded literature of like something called the whispering plague uh, we do, we don't know what that is but it befell merfolk Right. What what is the whispering plague? Well, the whispering plague is what transforms merfolk into even more vicious, uh, animalistic fish creatures. The sirens. Uh, the, the sirens are basically uh, infected merfolk. Right. Um, and and that's kind of where the the siren culture comes in. And um, then well we don't really know at the time where the ocean crawlers come from just that they are connected to the sirens um it's it's kind of fig it's answered for us by the end of the tall tale um what exactly is going on with the ocean crawlers but the ocean crawlers are um we've been calling them crab monsters but they're they're crab monsters there's one that is a giant clam um, that we call Clambo because it looks like the Donkey Kong Country baddie with a body, and then there is um kind of a a, a siren that has a electric eel wrapped around it, and that is electric. Yeah, and then uh, and but, I so I think that the actual names of them are electric. Uh, the the crab the clam one is called Hermit. And then the crab one, I think, is just called a crab. Uh, and and before <laughs> great name before release, I had made up my own names for them just as like shorthand. I called it the the crabbernaut, uh, the clamhead, and the murwalker because it's a it's like a mm-hmm. siren person, but they're walking on two legs and they have the whip. Um, I still think crabbernaut is a better name, but uh, or I, I usually actually just call them crabos though. Uh, oh shit there's a crabbo like yeah 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 anyway they all have their own kind of attacks and behavior this is a great thing is this it's not like uh you have your weak one your medium one and your tough one it's they're they're all different they're the 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 clams can burrow under the ground and then rise up underneath you and attack and they also spit these green clouds of poison around them and then obviously the electric ones will they they fire uh balls of electricity and if they have an electricity shot charged up and you attack them it will emit a field of electricity so you, you don't want to melee them you want to hit them from range and then the crabos just like they just pound the ground really hard and kill you almost in one hit 
Um, so all three yeah, of them, force, they're right. fun because they kind of require ranged attacks for the most part, um, which makes them way different than the phantoms that we'll talk about later, which I tend to do melee attacks. But um, it's just much needed variety to land encounters. Yeah, skellies, as much as I love the skellies, they, uh, they, they tend to get old, especially when you have an entire um, company uh based around killing them and they just appear even when you're not on an order of souls voyage they will just appear on the islands and it's just like all right skellies 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 so yeah th- this this has been something that i think we've been clamoring for <laughs> for quite a while and it's, it's nice to finally see even if i feel like they appear too frequently even after they dialed them back a little bit um they're they're still everywhere except when you need them to drop gems yeah, they don't drop gems. Oh, God, jewels of the deep. Anyway, um, <laughs> so this is great. What I love about this is this is this is new content they added that is just a, a a new part of the game everywhere. This is just affects the game all the time, not just on this tall tale. These these new enemies are in the world, but if you're playing through these tall tales, you're kind of getting exposed to them, like one by one, and like uh being put in a position to kind of learn what these new enemies are like and, and how to fight them. And so you've got these forced little ocean crawler battles. You solve your puzzles and then, then you get to exit that spire. You, you get to look out the window and see the Kraken swimming around. And yeah. this is one of my favorite parts of the tale is just looking out the windows as you progress and seeing the Kraken swim around because we've never seen the Kraken's full body before. Uh, very no- just tentacles very yeah. notoriously they didn't render a body on it they just have tentacles rising up out of a a, a pitch black murk so you can't see where the tentacles right. are attached to because they're not attached to anything and uh it, now it, it, now it, it, it ejects the ink and then it uh and then it wraps you with its stink <laughs> yeah and yeah so we get to see the kraken it's like kind of this it's leading up to to fighting it later, but then we go back out to sea and swim to the next uh, little area. But while we're there, while we're out in the open water, we've got to fight sirens now, which is another new enemy. And these add variety to water combat because it's not just sharks. Sharks aren't really like a combat enemy so much as just like a, a nuisance uh, right. when you're in the water, you're like, okay, I just need to avoid the shark or like hope they don't, sp- but like the sirens are actually like an enemy that you have to fight and they can drop gems. Um, yeah. And, and you know, they're coming cause you hear their wailing, which is, you know, obviously, you know, from mythology, but it's just such a great little touch. Uh, you hear that, uh, that, Oh, and you're like, oh, we've got sirens, and it feels ominous, um, and, and and just like an event whenever they show up because they announce themselves showing up. They don't just pop up like all the other enemies do. It 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 is like, look at us, look at us, we're here, and and yeah, you're you're out in the water, or you know, and it it it's another form of combat that requires you to change up your strategy of just mindlessly hacking skellies. And speaking of changing up the combat, they also added in the trident of dark tides, which is a handheld mm-hmm. like staff, like a crystal staff from star Fox adventures that shoots out beams, beams of bubble 
energy. Uh, and this is interesting. I thought that this was really going to change up combat in the game. And I find that it's great in PvE. It's great against AI enemies like skeletons and crabs and sirens. Uh, and it's essentially useless in PvP. Um, and that's fine because I don't need more PvP. That's It's whatever. It's all good. But um, it is an interesting little weapon because you can charge it up. You can fire like a little shot, a medium shot, a large shot. And then you have to balance how much ammo it has because different size shots take up different amounts of energy because eventually it runs out of ammo and it just evaporates. The whole staff is gone. Yeah, And um, I like this part of the tale because... It's like, here's a bunch of tridents, everybody go fight sirens. And you're all just like fighting with these energy beams. And I think when you find them out in the wild, uh, on our voyages, we're not so keen to use them. They're just kind of there. Um, but in these moments when we're in these kind of scripted combat sections on the tail, um, it's like a set piece that we're using these tridents. And it's it's a lot of fun. Everyone has a trident. It is. I enjoy the tridents. I, I would probably use them more if, um, you know, we, we were actually came across enough and we were, it was purely PVE encounters. Um, I just kind of forget. I'm just like, oh yeah, I, I could be using the trident. Um, right. So it's, we put, it's it, we put it on the ship where, and then we go to shore and nobody takes it with them. It's just on the ship. Like, oh yeah. We right. Just one more thing to lug around. And sometimes you're lugging around crates or like ammo crates i, I wish crates uh, and- in addition to its beam i wish it had like a a lunge attack like the sword has a lunge uh-huh. uh because that would make it a lot easier to lug around if it had like added mobility to it you have a lunge with it but oh well it's fine yeah um yeah yeah then then we progress into the next siren kind of spire the, the citadel and we do more of the same puzzles but like i mean there's a little variety to these puzzles i I, I don't like these puzzles, but in this tale, they don't get old. The, I think that they get mm. old when you have to do these same puzzles in the, in the later tale. Uh, but in this tale, they're still kind of novel. So, um, and then, uh, and then we find the silver blade. What is the Silver Blade, Jeff? Well, the Silver Blade is the Millennium Falcon of Sea of Thieves. No, I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, no, so the Silver Blade is the ship that was name-dropped in the Tales from the Sea of Thieves uh, Expanded Universe book. And that was yeah. released before the game launched. And in I, it, I think it was released the day the game came out. Uh, well, in my mind, the game hasn't yet launched still because it's in beta. Oh, okay. It's a, it's not it, enough content. It's an early release title. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, so in that book, we have Flameheart Jr., the, the son of Flameheart, who is now, uh, the, the Flameheart Sr. is, is a spooky man in the, in the sky, uh, who yells at you and he, he, he's, he, you, you sure your supplies are dwindling by now and they're not anyway and flameheart jr sailed aboard the silver blade and then it sank and he became a skeleton because he's not a very important character um that everyone needs to obsess about uh and then and then <laughs> once that happens then the real like story of that book takes off which is the one of nine cat nura and bell although no one ever talks about them uh yeah the ship sank and now we've got kind of the epilogue story to that ship 
because it wasn't the end of that ship's story. It is the end of Flameheart Jr.'s story for now. And I don't care about his story. That's fine. Um, but another pirate... Well, the merfolk... One of the things in, in the lore is that merfolk are the ones that restore our ships when they sink. So we always get a yeah. fresh ship. So the merfolk restored the ship, and another crew found it and used it. And then they went after a, a cursed chest. Not the same cursed chest that, sa- that, that went down with the silver blade in the first place, uh, which is the one that summons the Kraken, because Ninecat, Nura, and Bell uh, salvaged that out of the shipwreck and took it onto their own ship. So that's not on the Silver Blade anymore. But they went after a different sh- uh, cursed chest, which is the chest of everlasting sorrow, which apparently contains the soul bound, you know, maliciously uh, of the of the Siren King, and the Siren Queen is so mad because because uh, the ancient people and ancient pirates and and merfolk uh, they made her real mad. And, um, yeah, so the Silver Blade ends up getting sunk by the Sirens and taken up into this Siren Citadel and turned into a, uh, like a monument. It's like, it's like a sacred little, um, decorative piece where their chest of everlasting sorrow is stored. And, um, that's actually like the side quest of this tale is... Finding yeah. the key that will open the captain's quarters that will let us get the chest out that we can use to find a little hidden, uh, cat, you know, cave that has the backstory lore that explains all this about the Siren King, um, and what happened to him. And, uh, but anyway, we board the Silver Blade, but now it is all coral encrusted and wrecked and, and, and it, it is turned into like, uh, you can use the capstan to raise it up through the air with these chains like an elevator and then use the cannons to fire at ocean crawlers and eventually we get to fight the fucking kraken fight fight it head on yeah it's great um and and i love that the kraken its head still looks like the kraken skulls we've seen a couple times throughout the game um like everything is consistent this is just the first time we've actually seen a living kraken outside of the inky murk on the surface where it's just tentacles attacking you so it's this great triumphant moment um again it's like scratching an itch that players might have had like oh i wish i could like get underneath the surface and fight the kraken down there well here we are we're in this underwater kingdom and there's the kraken uh and and we're on this sunken ship that's been turned into an elevator um, as as befitting the Millennium Falcon of Sea of Thieves, and um, and yeah, it's it's just I. This is like such a memorable moment of the Tall Tale, and I think this is what really boosts the Tall Tale for me is this little fight with the Kraken. Um, it's it's unlike anything else in the game. It's absolutely thrilling set piece, uh, and it and it's fun to repeat. Like it, it like this. It's not like a set piece where you're like, that was so cool, but I got my fill. Like, I, it's not cool the second time. It's not one of those kind. It is the kind that is just stays cool because the Kraken is just so um, satisfying to look at. I, I just like looking at it. It's so ugly and cool. And and I like giant monsters. I don't know. I, I think it's awesome. Um, I, I, and I like the little nod to the fans who are in the know with the putting up the, the name drop of the Silver Blade. 
um, and continuing that story. Um, and it's also a great way to play, too, with, like, the merfolk restore the ships. The sirens keep them permanently sunk. Exactly. Right? That's, That's the, the reason the, the Black... The great dichotomy. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the Black Pearl didn't come back. Those merchant ships didn't come back. This is the reason. It, it's it's a great way. And Rares and the Sea of Thieves team has been really good at doing this, right? Is using the uh, gameplay mechanics of how you can have a sustainable game where you can't have constantly respawn. Your ship constantly comes back. How you can do that without breaking like the levels of threat in the game and, and that would limit the stories you could tell. So how can you still have shipwrecks in a world where all the ships come back? How can you have this uh, permanence of death in story where the characters keep coming back? There's always these little workarounds that just enrich the game and add to the tapestry. Um, and, and with the sirens, we finally have that like missing piece of the puzzle. This is what's been doing it. Yeah. And, uh, and then, we we get to you know defeat the kraken at least subdue the kraken. I I I think that you basically never kill a kraken. You just damage it enough that it decides to go away and stop attacking you. Yeah. Um. But yeah. uh, and then we can progress further and end up uh with kind of another boss fight in the form of that this final confrontation with the siren queen. And I, I love the Siren Queen uh, design. I love the voice. I love the like the, the story of the character, like their motivations. Siren Queen might be my favorite villain in the game. Um, and you kill her. And then we kill her. <laughs> you just kill and her. She's canonically kill dead. Her. She's dead now. So she, she's she's dead, dead, dead. And not only that, but if you did the side quest, you've got the chest that has the soul of her dead husband. And, and, you and can it just makes sell and that, that makes her so mad. She's real mad. Makes her mad. Me, I can't, so I can't do your voice. Mad. Mad. That's not really uh, how I. It's not really how I speak, but it's how I'm speaking today. Um, it's <laughs> it's talk like an idiot day, and uh, <laughs> that's what you get when you start drinking in the morning. <laughs> no, um, it's it's Whoa, fun because not only do you rum get- spelled backwards is mer like the merfolk. <laughs> I thought what the wise men gave to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought, yeah, that's, anyway, Jesus, what a guy. Um, they, they brought him rum on Talk Like a Pirate Day. That's that you, Bible left that part out. Uh, it was a side quest in the Bible. Not a lot of players saw it because it was on the Yeah, but they, they, they stole Talk Like a Pirate Day from the pagans. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, we, we get to kill the Siren Queen. Um, I feel bad about it, but also, like, like I feel bad about everything that's happened to her, but also she's just evil. Like you can't, like 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 any good villain, she has a bit of a tragic backstory, right? right? But but my hands are tied. You to... You're trying to kill me, and you're clearly evil. Like I, I my hands are tied. But then you get to rub, uh, you get to rub it in her face, her dead face, by then taking the soul of her dead husband and selling it to the gold hoarders like any normal chest. <laughs> and it's just this I, it's just this little detail you can do it you don't have to do it there's no extra commendation attached to selling that chest but you can do it and it's fun and and also can i say I, I, and i'm just such a nerd for sea of thieves like on a on a mechanical level um uh-huh. i love the chest of everlasting sorrow even if it only appears in this one very specific moment and you probably aren't even gonna like 
take it and sell it. But if you do take it and try to sell it, it doesn't behave like a normal chest of sorrow because it cries 100% of the time, but it just cries less. Like it doesn't fill your ship with water as fast. And that is such a right. like mechanically minute difference. Uh, but I love it. I'm just like, holy shit, a chest that behaves like 5% different than another one. This is amazing. And, <laughs> and then you can go sell it and you get like, a, like a pretty decent payout. I don't remember. It was something like maybe like 10 grand or something, uh, a gold. Yeah. And, and it's, it's probably not something a lot of players were able to sell at least early on, because like I said, that other crew had sunk our galleon. Um, so by the time we got topside again, we swam back to the surface, our galleon was gone and the merfolk, the friendly merfolk were in the water to like, teleport us back to wherever our ship uh, had respawned. But their little sloop, I think it was a sloop. Was it a sloop? Um, might, might, might have been, been a brig. I think it was a brig. Yeah. Uh, of course it was a brig. But uh, it was it was there, so we were like, let's just take it. Uh, so we were able to have some fun with their ship. Uh, we, we got the chest sold um, up until the point where the crew either quit or scuttled their ship and, and it sunk on us. But we we got some decent mileage out of that. So yeah, and we were chit chatting the not... whole time about how uh, we were glad they made the crew of Jack, uh, Gibbs, Anna Maria, and Scrum, rather than yeah. just having like uh, Rizzoli and Isles or whatever those guys' names are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we we get to rescue that crew at the end. Uh, we 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 obviously we got the compass already, and then we get we get kind of pulled into this whole siren attack story. But at the end, we find Jack's crew encrusted in um, merfolk statues. They're entombed in the statues. The statues that have been in the game for three years going on. uh, And, uh, but we never knew their purpose before. We never knew their origin. Uh, And now we kind of know that the sirens can entrap you in one of these statues and they can just hold you there forever or they can transform you into an ocean crawler. It's like a right. This is where, stasis. this is where the ocean crawlers come from. The, the merfolk statues that we've seen since the, um, what was it? The, the drowned curse, the sunken curse, not to be confused. Sunken curse, with the sunken pearl. I actually was typing up the, uh, these notes and instead of sunken pearl, I called it the sunken curse and then I had to Google it. That that is the and there's even there's a great joke later on in these tall tales where they they actually make fun of just the the way the names and see if these trip over themselves at times because they just use the same terms and just remix them. But yeah, this this is since the um, the sunken curse, like because that was a big thing. It was like it was like out of left field. Like now there's all these merfolk statues. Uh, around the islands and they're kind of ominous but we don't have any explanation as to what they are where they came from uh and it, and it wasn't explained for the longest time it was just like this uh this little tangent the game went on but it, it added a new element that's been in the game ever since it was and you had a theory uh, <laughs> that you actually got to pitch to mike chapman uh when you went to e3 at e3 2019 we were all uh sitting there at this this little thing they were doing the the Sea of Thieves team. It was a Q and A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think Joe Neat. Think uh, Adam. I think Park was Adam there. and Pete and Joe and Mike and and also yeah. someone from Xbox maybe that was like 
kind of facilitating it. I don't remember really. Uh, but yeah, this little Q and a that was not, uh, streamed or, or televised, uh, that we just had to kind of know was happening and show up at the right time. And a little audience of like 12 of us, uh, I think Amir, Amir <laughs> was there and, and Marky from rare thief, but yeah. And then they did, or, or as, or as they called it, the disciples. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I, I asked a question about the the merfolk statues and I was, and I pitched that I thought they were cocoons that, uh, when a human transforms into a merfolk, they go into these cocoons. But since we don't know what they are, we just kill them. We just slash them to pieces uh, because <laughs> because that's what Duke considers to be a, an adventurous thing to do. And uh, and Mike, I felt was maybe a little horrified by that. He said it was dark. You you could see his jaw drop just a bit, like uh, like oh oh, I've got one of them in the crowd. <laughs> um, but. You weren't that far off, Jeff. Yeah, it seems basically accurate. Uh, these things are uh, essentially the siren version of a curse, uh, of, of the mechanism by which a transformation happens, which usually for pirates, it's a curse. You can have the gold curse, you can have the skeletal curse, you can have the ashen curse, and it'll transform you. Uh, in, in this instance, as far as sirens go... Uh, their mechanism is not just curses, it is this, like, uh, transformation module. This, this, you go in, you get encrusted in a statue, which I just like to imagine that you get swarmed by sirens, and they all just start, like, spitting, they start spitting up, like, mud. They just start (laughs) spitting up mud and, and, like, covering you in, in mud. And it, like, encrusts yeah. into the statue, like, because it has to come from somewhere. So they're, like, termites spitting up to make their mound. Uh, and, and so, yeah, they're spitting up mud and trapping you inside. And then you transform through magical means into what they want you to become. And pretty gross. But I like it. Yeah. And we, it turns out we've been killing people this entire time. We, we're still doing it. We know what they are now, but we're like, oh, we need to get these gems. But we're, we're, uh, we're saving them because if they die, they can go to the fairy of the damned. If they're trapped in a statue uh-huh. forever, they're trapped in a statue forever or they become an ocean crawler or whatever. They become an ocean crawler, which is a, a fate much worse than temporary death for sure. Well, it's not as bad um, as temporary yeah, we- secretary, but. I- that song is considered a classic now. I don't understand it myself, but people love that song. Um, it's, big, it's big in the the, the club scene. Uh, but look, uh, Paul McCartney aside, it, it was exciting to... Uh, well, that actually ties a little bit into Paul McCartney vis-a-vis Elton John because Scrum is one of the people in Jack Sparrow's crew that you rescue. Scrum is one of the lesser characters in the franchise because he is only from, I think, the fourth and fifth movie. Uh, So he's not really, like, a beloved character from the movies. But Scrum was played by the same actor who who played, I think, Dick James in Rocket Man. And, of course, Dick James uh, has both financial ties to the Beatles and Elton John. So Well there you go, little little go. uh little bit of knowledge. And But yeah, uh I I loved uh yeah, it was Gibbs, uh Scrum and Zoe Saldana's character um, Anna Maria. 
Anna Maria. I, I know, I know it's Anna, but I'm like Anna, Anna Pinta, uh, Santa Maria. Um, no, uh, th- those are the ships from the Thanksgiving, I think. Uh, but <laughs> I, I don't know. But it's a great mix of characters, right? Because you gotta have Gibbs there. He, he's the the favorite. He's the favorite of the bunch. Um, yeah, you know him well, and you know him well. Uh, Anna Maria is like a, this character that was only in the first movie. And that's why I absolutely love having her here, because it implies that she has, you know, continued being around in the world, even if she wasn't journeying with Jack Sparrow all that time. But then she comes back and she's part of his crew again in the future. She she was in the first movie, played by what's now a beloved actor, but she wasn't well-known at the time. The experience was terrible. Either she didn't, she chose not to come back, or she wasn't invited back for the second one. And then she became, you know this this huge star uh with with all these other big franchises and uh we don't know what happened to her and in fact when i was binge watching the movies i wondered if her character was eaten by the cannibals in the second one and that's why we didn't see her because gibb says that you know the the cages made out of bones were made from some of the members of the crew and i was like oh god I hope that's not Zoe Saldana, but uh, nope, here she is. She's back. Um, great choice, and it allows, I think, Rare to do something with that character that really got underserved with the movies, which is the benefit of doing something that's not live action. Uh, and then Scrum represents the fourth and fifth movies, which not a lot of people like, but I'm glad they didn't shy away from them right. and say, well, we don't want to reference them because people don't like them. No, we're going to have a character from them. And you're absolutely right. It's much better than the the eyeball goon and, and his idiot friend. and Or the, I, or the other I'm duo. Remember the here. other duo that were like, uh, they were naval men who ended up becoming pirates and they stuck around through like all the sequels? I don't know. I think it was Turner and Hooch or something like that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, they have a lot of weird little duos that that yeah, you could have gone with them. But I like this group because Scrum adds a little bit of continuity. Like this could take place pretty soon after the last adventure because he was there. And but it's like we've got some of the new Scrum and we've got some of the old Anna Maria, and it's this balance. And also, I mean, having Anna Maria means it's not this grossly homogenous. Uh, mix of white men, um, old crusty white men, right? Yeah, we've... this isn't Congress. Way all right, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a cool crew. We rescue them; they're all alive, and then uh, they exit on their own from from back in the cavern, and, and I guess they have a ship. I don't know where they go, but they find their way back they to swim an outpost. out. They they just swim. They swim for it. They swim to the nearest outpost. They could have rode like we could have given them a ride. Like I don't get it. Yeah, that's we're kind of di- well. We didn't have a ship, so it was like well, we're gonna steal you know. these other crew's ship if you guys want to ride with us. We're stealing cars. <laughs> um, yeah, and that was that tale. That's that's that tale in a nutshell, or in a or yeah. in a merfolk statue. And for the record, if 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 this was gonna split into become a two parter, uh, this would be the logical place to split. Uh, I'm not saying I I want to sit down and record all of it right now. I'm just saying. As an editorial note, if it was going to be split into two halves, this would be the moment to to outro intro. Yeah, um, this this is kind of like well, I think the at least first four tall tales are kind of like pairs, right? The first one and third one are pairs. The second and fourth one are pairs, both structurally and thematically. Um, 
so Captains of the Damned definitely picks up sort of where the first one left off. We've got the compass now, right? Um, and and now we can get back to the Sea of the Damned with the castaways' help and find whatever happened to Jack Sparrow when he fell into the Sea of the Damned. Right. So, uh, yeah, it, the story kind of it goes one direction, it goes a different direction, goes one direction. So now we're back on that kind of first quest, that first goal of we have to get Jack because he's the guy that can help us to stop this impending calamity. So we go to the Sea of the Damned, but this time um, it is less of a kind of singular, unique new location, and it is more we are visiting recreations of Jack's memories. And this is where we really start to understand kind of the metaphysical structure of what the sea of the damned is and what happens to us while we're there. And, and so I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm like a ghost nerd and I think you're an even bigger ghost nerd, uh, in terms of why why am I the bigger ghost? nerd? I think, you know, I mean, I think you know more about like ghost study than I do in terms of like the TV shows and the, the types of different projections and things. And, but, but we're both, we're both interested in it is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I, I have a, a health... I'm not, like, a weirdo about it. Like, I'm not... Kyle, you don't like, have to get offended if I use the word nerd. It's okay. It's... <laughs> we're not... <laughs> no, I just don't want people to think that I'm, like, going into dark, abandoned hospitals and being like, bro, I'm gonna f- catch an EVP, bro. Bro, did you hear that? Oh. Did you hear that, bro? It totally just said... Bro. It totally just said words. Those were words, bro. Bro, I I think I'm possessed by a demon, bro. Get away from me! Yeah, I, oh I'm my not god, that. it is it's four just... degrees colder in this spot. Feel this spot. <laughs> Feel that. That's like four to five degrees colder right here, bro. I I have a I have an interest in in the paranormal that that is like a skeptical interest, but uh, an interest all the same. And yes, ghosts are included in that. The study of of ghosts and the supernatural and the phenomena that that people witness. Uh, and, and so uh, I also really like Spirit Halloween. Uh, I like monsters. Yeah, they have they me, have so. skeletons. And um, <laughs> yeah, so what I was gonna say when I when I brought that up is that. Um, one of the one of the kind of ideas of ghosts is this like imprint of a memory. Uh, a ghost is just kind of stuck uh, doing the you know this one like action kind of on repeat or a set a set of actions or reliving certain moments. And I I think that what we kind of over the course of these five tales we gleam about or we glean uh, uh, about how the Sea of the Damned works is that ghosts that are stuck there and not ferried away gradually lose themselves in these memories and become like those ghosts that are just stuck on like a a broken record and reliving these memories it's almost like a fugue state right like you you start to lose your perception of where you are and and how you got there and you kind of yeah you become like a a skipping record yeah and so um but we know that if jack is in the sea of the damned he's going to be like reliving these memories of his life and when you when you do that as a ghost, you manifest them like you these ghostly constructs of your memories become real, real enough for you as a ghost to walk around in and relive 
um, in you know, by like the skipping of a record. And so we're going to find Jack, but to do that, we need to know about his life because if we can find the imprints of his life in the Sea of the Damned, then we know he's close because it's like finding the footprints in the sand that will lead us to where he is. So we're kind of following in his trail. Lead us to Jesus. Yeah, that that is where the Pirate Lord carried us. Um, Yeah, so we start off going through... We go through a number of these locations, like different locations. They're all from Jack's memories. And the first one is the swamp, like bayou, uh, that Tia Dalma lives in, in the second uh, Pirates movie is like really where it first gets introduced. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I thought this was going to be just a way to structurally have all these set pieces from the movies play out in the game like going through jack's memories right so we were gonna we we're gonna have our pirates kind of interact with these ghostly facsi- facsimiles of what happened in the movies that's not really what happened this is really more of them indulging i think in the theme park than it and, and the theme park ride versus the movies themselves Tiadama swamp is in the movies but the pirates of the caribbean ride does start in the bayou so yeah, I, I there's a there's a shipwreck in that swamp in the game that is called the I think it's called the Blue Bayou or something Bayou mm-hmm. and I guess uh, that is the name of a restaurant in the New Orleans Square area of the park where the ride is like the you, you, the way the park works is you're in this like New Orleans Square themed area and then you kind of get on a boat and sail through a swamp and then arrive in the Pirate Grotto. So you transition from, like, New Orleans down into the Caribbean, I guess. Um, it's a very quick transition. You cross, like, <laughs> I was gonna you say, cross the yeah. whole gulf. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and so the swamp, I, I know a lot of people adore this tale. I like it. I don't love it. And one of the things that I don't love necessarily about it it is apparent right off the bat is that we have these areas to explore, but unlike the first tale, it's so big and mostly empty. The swamp area, like to start with, there are journal, there are some journals hidden. There's only th- there's, there's three hidden here. There's two hidden in the next area. And then there's five hidden in the town area and the, the final area. Um, and even just like, they they probably should have put five journals in each area just to give us more, uh, just to fill in the space with a reason to explore. And, um, like, cause I love the swamp. I love the aesthetics of the swamp and yeah. I love being in a swamp. Uh, I love the kind of narrow channels that you kind of slowly sail through. Um, I love the ghostly atmosphere, but, but there's not a lot of reason to explore. There's a couple journals to find and that's about it and it just feels like a really big space that could have been used for something cool, like uh, an Easter egg, like something to find, something to discover or interact with. Um, and it, it's mostly just empty and it's mostly just there for the visual flair and the, and the atmosphere. Um, and then you move on quickly. Yeah. Yeah. This, this whole thing felt more like set pieces than the first one did. Um, and, and yeah, because because when you're initially in this swamp, you're you're thinking it's going to be like the the town 
in, in the first one, um, Sailor's Grave. Um, and, and it's not, it's, it's a lot of emptiness, uh, which, you know, it, it, I'm, it's not a real criticism because I liked this tall tale. Um, intellectually, I probably liked the first one more, but I, I was in a better headspace when I played this one. So I still enjoyed my time with this more, but, um, yeah, it's just, you, you light a bunch of candles and for the most part, it's a uh, storytelling set piece more than it is a gameplay thing there's not a whole lot to do um and it's kind of just progressing you on a story and that's fine uh yeah i i just personally would have liked if they kind of filled the space with some something to interact with and maybe a puzzle maybe a a side quest or an easter egg or at least just a few more journals to fill in the empty space uh the journals were pretty hard to find um they were they took me I mean, you, you you found them all, so I didn't have that problem. But even, like, when you showed us where a journal was, it was like, wow, that's obtuse. Yeah. Like, by the time I played with you, I had done every tale at least five times. Uh, so I, I knew the journals, and I guided you, so you didn't have to come back and just, like, mindlessly look around for journals. Um, because, yeah, they're, some of them are pretty obtuse. I did like the gimmick in this one, which was that you had to light a candle to make the journal appear. It was like a ghost journal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, we get to the swamp. We get some dialogue like from the movies, uh, you know, with Barbosa and, and Tia Dalma and uh, all the people. And you get the kind of the, the journals tell uh, the journals and the ghosts tell a pretty spooky picture of like Tia Dalma is this magical figure that can help people, but is also like she can be really cruel and like a lot of people uh-huh. depend on her, but she's actually kind of a scary person. Um, that's a cool side of her to see. Uh, but yeah, it's mostly atmosphere in this area. It's mostly aesthetic uh, that I like, but yeah, I, I mean, honestly, like for me, the most memorable part of this tall tale was when we got to the, the fort. Oh, yeah, um, so that's the next... And everything yeah, after yeah. that. So we leave the swamp, you go to the uh, fort. This, like, Spanish fort. It's a, it's a Spanish fort. It, it's... Again, it, it's weird because it, it's surreal to be in Sea of Thieves and have, like, structures made of stone and brick. And, and it, it's... Because you're so used to everything being made of wood, right? And, and or, especially... Or just walking, you know, natural Especially surface. just, like, things made of... Uh, salvaged wreckage and and scrap scrap yeah. pieces of wood um the the rundown nature of the sea of thieves the makeshift nature of it uh, and so then when you're visiting real like professionally made like structures um like these castle walls these fort walls this, it's really cool uh yeah sea of thieves is a scrappy frontier where this is uh, a more uh, like established civilization so um yeah, the Spanish Fort, though, this is, uh, again, this is all Jack's memory, so it's not actually Barbosa. It's not his ghost attacking you, it's Jack's memories of Barbosa attacking you. Well, the, yeah, uh, Barbosa doesn't is... attack at the fort. Uh, it's his. Oh, he doesn't? It, it is uh, Black Dog Briar, his first mate. Oh. Or his, his, his bosun or something like that. Um, but, but Barbosa is attacking the town. 
are you mixing up the fort with the town? I guess I am. So yeah. there's a there's <laughs> there's a medium there's an intermediate stop, which is this little Spanish fort, uh, that where they play the spooky song that uh, at the start of Pirates Three when all the people are being uh, executed and hung. And they're singing the song yeah. that calls together the brethren court. And it's, you know, the song is like, the song is a song. It's a spooky song. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> and bound her in her bones. Anyway, that, that, that's so spooky when you come up to the gates and the song is playing. And I think that actually some of the people at, uh, Rare were just like the ones singing it, like John McFarlane and, and like some other people. Like, so that's pretty cool. Um, and you kind of it, it. I I I totally am not surprised you you mostly almost forgot this part because there's not a lot that happens here. Is that you you run around you you find some a couple journals and you do a little puzzles and you get up on top. You have to aim the lighthouse thing again, just like from the first tale, and light some beacons. Yeah. And then Black Dog Briar and his crew show up and you fight phantoms for the very first time on the beach. Yeah, and and phantoms again. This is kind of a confusing cosmology behind phantoms, right? Because you're like phantoms; they're ghosts, ish. They're they're, they're go- like yes. Some of them are ghosts of people, and those consciousness those consciousnesses are now in the sea of the damned, and they're trapped forever, and they kind of get lost in who they are. Uh, but some of them are manifested as memories because if I'm a ghost and I go to the Sea of the Damned and I'm stuck there, I'm going to imagine that Heil is there and we're, like, arguing about some inane shit like he should watch Shrek. And 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 because I'm imagining this memory of my life where Heil is there, I'm going to manifest Heil. <laughs> and and, right. and you, you right. will be there. So are these people ghosts or are they memories of ghosts that are made real? And, and, and then if a memory is, like... And I think that the presence of us is breaking their illusion and waking them up from their, like, never-ending record scratch. And so they're like, oh, you're Jack Sparrow, or you've got his compass. You know, we're trying to kill Jack Sparrow. we got to kill you. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a little convoluted. It it is, but I like that it's a little (sighs) obscured. It's a little ambiguous. Because I, I like that even though our pirates have been into the actual afterlife or this, uh, like, way station of the afterlife between realms, that is the Sea of the Damned, that we still don't have a full understanding of it. Like, oh, yeah, so so phantoms are, are ghosts and memories or just the memories or I don't know. But it, I like that there's still an air of mystery to it, even though we've seen things that, that most people wouldn't have seen. Yeah, so we fight the phantoms. Phantoms are the new enemy class that uh, is probably the least exciting. I, in terms of gameplay, they yeah. they operate mostly like a skeleton, except that they can teleport. Uh, they're easiest to melee versus the ocean crawlers, which are easiest to range attack because every ocean crawler has things that will damage if you if you stay too close to them whereas the phantoms uh you can easily stun lock them if you can get them melee attacked with the sword so it, you don't really want to range attack them because if you can get them stun locked they're easier to kill uh but you know it, it is a little variety they're not that different from skeletons but they're slightly different they're visually different and that's cool 
And so they add just a little thing. I think right now they're kind of lacking some element of pizzazz. Uh, like if there was some something that set them apart in the world, like they only spawn under this unique condition or uh, or at this special fort or something, like they might be cool. But this is our first taste of them, and they're... There's room to grow. Um, I, I'm glad they're in the game. I'm glad that they're using that infinite pirate generator for, like, creating yeah. these. Because that's the one thing that made you feel like, well, they'll never add AI pirates. Because how would they make them all look unique? Uh, you know, skeletons are easy to make because they all look the same, mostly. Uh, but no, I mean, they have the infinite pirate generator. They can just make pirates. So now they're doing that, but they're they're ghosts. They're ghost pirates. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then we sail... To Isla Tesoro, which is different than that little Spanish fort. Isla Tesoro is a fort also. It has fort walls. <laughs> That's where I was confused because it, it does have the same fort-like structure, but it is different. Yeah, and this is right out of the ride. This is the part where it goes from, like, oh, uh, we've got a little homage to the ride here. This is, like, we have recreated the ride We have Barbosa attacking the town, and you go through set pieces as you walk through the town, and they're all pulled right out of the ride. Yeah, this this does feel like... I I, I can see your issues with it a little bit, because it does feel like they're navel-gazing at times. Like, God, we love the ride. And and you, you might have a bit too much of that, especially, like, when you said when they indulge in that 1960s Disney humor that doesn't really it's, totally fit. It's just a little bit twee and camp for, for my taste. Uh, but I, I yeah. get it. I get it. And I think that if I was the guy obsessed with the ride, I would have wanted to recreate it the way they did it. Uh, but I, I, I feel like, like at, at, at the least, like a small thing is like, maybe I, I would have had the pirates dress up in Sea of Thieves, uh, appropriate clothing instead of like, everyone's wearing a striped shirt and a goofy little hat. And and yeah. because it feels like they're cartoon characters more than Sea of Thieves pirates, and and it's it's fine. I actually don't hate it at all. I just think it's a it goes a little bit campy, uh, beyond well, where I would have necessarily I'll, I'll, done it. Yeah, I'll allow it. Like if I was ever put in charge of say creating a jungle themed amusement park attraction a theme park attraction right like a roller coaster a ride or or a themed area i would be like well we've got to have an elderly gorilla yelling at you and saying your shit and they'd be like why do you have to have that i was like well that's what you have (laughs) that's what you have in a jungle they'd say hi why can't you be normal just put cannibals in there and we're like (laughs) uh okay no but it also helps that this is these are all jack's memories so this isn't happening in the sea of thieves it's it, it's a projection in the sea of the damned so you can have something that's totally off and not have it sort of trample the game even if we have to live it uh in the game right and 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 jack sparrow is in the ride now he he wasn't in 1967 yeah. but uh, Whatever, when they yeah. made the movies, they they have redone redone the ride, and they've changed the you know the captain that is attacking is Captain Barbosa, and as you go through the ride, there's like a Jack Sparrow stand in like 
you know, running around and hiding and, and sneaking his way through the town, trying to get into the town's treasury, I think, and steal the golds. Uh, and so you go through the set pieces. You go through Carlos, the mayor, uh, being drowned by <laughs> being being tortured by the pirates <laughs> uh, and and his fun, potentially racist accent. And and then and then you go through to the auction scene where they're auctioning off a bunch of stuff, and you have uh, my crush, the the red haired pirate lady. So so they, they they this is the updated version of the ride though, because wasn't there an original version where they were auctioning off? Yeah, women? the original version of the ride was like sketchy. Like there was a lot of stuff that yeah. doesn't hold up today. They, the they car- were auctioning. I off think that the, I think that the Carlos uh, torture scene might have been a lot more. <laughs> Uh, over the top, racially insensitive voice character in the original version, and and I think they, I don't oh, think no. they changed this stuff until like 2011 or something. So that's when they put the Jack Sparrow yeah. in there. And the, but yeah, no, they were auctioning off women. Now they're auctioning off like a bunch of random junk that they've stolen, like from the townsfolk. I think like chickens, right? Uh, is the one that they're like drawing attention to. Like we're auctioning off these chickens. Better get them, I don't, you know. Uh, and yeah, I love the town space because it's like you said before, we're not seeing like stone structures, but then like in the town, it's like all these different materials, things you know, like plaster or like uh, clay, like s- building materials that we never see in Sea of Thieves or never have seen. And um, you've got these little side streets, and you've got like a you know, little shops you can walk through or, or walk past. Um, and of course, that brings us to our favorite shop, you and I, uh, the, ta- oh, the yeah? tavern, the uh, El Platano Dorado. El Platano Dorado, which translates to the golden banana. And, well, I, I don't need to tell the DK Vine audience what a golden banana is, but just just to clarify golden bananas have been in sea of thieves lore before um right they were that was the whole they were stolen by blind bob uh from who was the captain like something beard it was like a cinnamon beard or whatever his name was um you know one of those like error messages that you can get if you get kicked out of the game yeah and yeah. uh yeah and then umbra umbra uh remembers the puzzles and tells it to us because she heard blind bob tell her all of the puzzles, riddles, and it was the quest for the golden bananas. It, and Heil, you were on our team for that, but you didn't contribute. N- neither did Chad. So it was really just me and Mitchell because we were the only people who could stay up for twenty four hours trying to solve puzzles. Uh, right, right. Because, because yeah, we we were married and had jobs, right. and we we couldn't. We couldn't and that was three there. years ago. And, the- and believe it or not, I'm still not married, and I also don't have a job. And and we didn't. And, and we didn't even <laughs> win that contest. No, no, but it's fine um, because we have this sign in Sea of Thieves that has the golden right, banana yeah, for, yeah. for this uh, taverna. Yeah, and um, just across the street from that, there is what looks to be—I don't know what this is supposed to be—but it looks like a red, a giant red tie draped around this uh, this signpost. Uh, so you've got this this red tie and L. Plantana Dorado, uh, and so I'm going to chalk that up as a Donkey Kong reference. Yeah, this is your Donkey Kong reference of the day, folks, and the Donkey Kong podcast. Yeah, aren't you glad you found us on Spotify? Um, yeah, I love this little town. It is basically laid out completely linear. Um, yeah. And that's fine. I, I, I almost wish it would have just been completely opened up, which is how the 
first tale feels where you can kind of go anywhere and just discover stuff. And then you have to kind of figure out how the different things you're discovering interact with one another. But this is more like linearly walking you through the set pieces, which is more like the ride. I mean, that's how the ride operates. And so, yeah. but you obviously are off the rails. Like you can run around and, and I can go and get a close look at the beautiful red haired pirate. That's my crush. Um, all right. How come I have the reputation for being so damn thirsty in this game? Uh, like every time we play, my pirate may or may not flirt with some of the uh, the NPCs. But, but Kyle, they and, and they never had a red haired one before. <laughs> <laughs> she's not real. She's a she's a phantom, Jeff. Well, yeah, but I mean, is anything real? I don't know, Kyle. Don't take this from me. <laughs> you know, I would love this arc for your pirate. For for uh, Jeff the Brash, for for him to fall in love with a phantom memory he encounters in in the Sea of the Damned, and that it it just becomes this thing. Well, and the worst part is like, that we we it is proven to us that Jack Sparrow is an unreliable narrator. So I yeah, don't even know yeah. if this lady exists. Like, <laughs> what if you track her down and and it's actually a pig or something, oh, and you're like, well, no. I mean, you know, I'm I I committed so. Speaking of pigs, there uh, and and like right across from the red tie and and the golden banana tavern, there is a donkey. So yeah, I'm gonna say that's a Donkey Kong. Because no, 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 okay, hold on, hold Thieves. on. Uh, yeah. uh, this is a tale that has the donkey. This is also the tale that has a swamp. These are not references to Donkey Kong. They're references to Shrek. <laughs> we know it. It's a Shrek reference. This is the Shrek tale, and you would get that if you'd seen the movie. Okay, but in the uh, the North American version of Donkey Konga 2, there was All-Star. And who's to say where the Shrek references end and the Donkey Kong references begin? That's true. Yeah, I mean, the, the word donkey is in both, mo- in both materials, so they're basically the same. <laughs> they're, they're practically twins, yeah. <laughs> I do love this donkey. I love this idea that, like the Sea of Thieves team had to make a donkey because there weren't like the it, throughout this ride or throughout this tale, there's like, there's a, there's a parrot, there's some chickens. Uh, there's like dogs, I think, but like, those are all things they just have like models for, you know what I mean? Like, so they just have that stuff, yeah. but they're like, Oh no, but the ride has a donkey. We have to have a donkey. We have to make a donkey. We never had it. They made the donkey just for this. And I feel pretty confident they're never going to use the donkey for anything else. Because it's not like they're just going to put wild donkeys on the islands. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could use them to, like, haul treasure from your ship. I don't know. But I don't see it happening. It's like, in, 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 like, eight years, the, uh, the Reapers hide out. The Reapers will be having donkey shows. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, um... Yeah, the Reapers are degenerates. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so we progress through the town. We eventually do get to catch up with Jack, right? And and uh, he's made yeah. it into like the treasury, uh, and and then and then we climb to the top of the fort. And now, like we've gone inside the fort and then come out, and now the the, the mood has changed because the town is really under siege and all on fire. And there's we have to fight some phantoms, and then um, Barbosa from the from the bay uh, fires a volley, and they take out the clock tower. The clock tower, Hild. It's pretty. Uh, I know. Yeah, we we all love that tower. 
it, it was a great set piece in the trailer, right? That's what we all like focused on in the trailer. It's like, oh my god, there's a clock tower <laughs> that gets destroyed by cannon. That's fire. one of the funny things and... in this. In is like because it's first person and you're in control the whole time. It's not a cutscene. Yeah, like it's happening right. in real time. Um, you have to be standing in like a good spot if you want to witness what happens. And so I, I come in and I've already done the tail five, six, whatever times. And I'm like, all right, everybody, now don't run ahead or you're going to trigger the things that happens and then you're not going to see it. Everybody come with me and stand on this specific spot so we can watch what happens. It's so funny because I had to do the research to figure that stuff out. Um, yeah, and, and even then, like, the perspective isn't as dramatic as it is in the trailer, so you're seeing the clock tower come down, but it's, it's again, from your pirate's vantage point. I just it's wish, I wish Barbosa would say, like, a, uh, uh, a clever pun, was he, like, uh, you know, time's up, you know, because he took out the clock, I don't know, but he does say the uh-huh. line from the movie, everyone loves the line from the movie, what does he say, it's like, um, you best start believing in ghost stories, you're in one. Uh, you know, talk like a pirate day. That, that's the kind of stuff that always feels hacky to me. Like, oh, you said the he thing. He said the thing! The everyone thing. loves it. Everyone unanimously loves yeah. that. Um, including you and everyone. Like, that's that's when it starts feeling like a Joss Whedon script to me. Oh. And I, my eyeballs oh, no. start falling into I really don't like that yeah. man. Alright, um... I never liked him! I never liked his writing! No! Like, uh, even, like, uh, it's like... It's like, oh, I see right through your writing... Like you think you're so clever, and stop and, it. And 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 also he's like basically a sex pest. So well, there's that too. But I was I was. I'm... But you didn't know that at the time. You thought, whoa! <laughs> I didn't thought... know he would be at the Reaper's hideout for the donkey <laughs> You show. thought he? Oh, he made Buffy. He must be a feminist. Uh, uh. So yeah. Uh, we catch up with Jack, and then we have to. Well, no. Then we sail. Away from and we're following the, the, the Black Pearl now, uh, which is yeah. reenacting memories from the movies back to back. Um, you know, uh, up to the moment where I guess it's the end of the second movie when the Kraken sinks the pearl and takes Jack with him. Uh, this, this is basically the clip show portion, yeah, where, where we're we're just seeing the events of the movie, but through you know the the narrative structure of the Sea of the Damned. Yeah, and it's also where it's revealed to us by the voiceover that, in fact, uh, just about everything we just experienced is the manifestation of Jack telling a story in a tavern, uh, and he's an unreliable narrator. He's it, it's it goes from being we're in Jack's head to being oh like he's he's telling this story and we're just traveling through it, uh, and uh, and he says you know oh the what happens next is a uh, another tale to tell and you know i i could stay in this tavern telling tales forever um and we catch up to him and we get to the tavern he's in and we're no longer in his memories we're in the place he's in which is this um congregation point in the sea of the damned where all the ghosts can come or at least the ghosts who still have enough wits about them to not be lost in their own memories um yeah, it, it's an actual physical, or I guess metaphysical, location in the Sea of the Dam. Not created by memories. It, it's actually there. Anybody can visit it. Um, so long as, yeah, you're not stuck in that loop. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and it's, it's the, the Tavern of the Damned, I guess, is the name. Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah. Uh, and this, Jeff, in my opinion, is the emotional high point of all five tall tales. 
this is where not only do they tie it all together, Pirates of the Caribbean, Sea of Thieves, um, but also they really get to the heart uh, of what Sea of Thieves is about, at least from the like heroic viewpoint, from the viewpoint of Rare. Um because you got all these people who play the game, right? And they're like, the game is about PvP. The game is about attacking each other, sinking each other, killing each other. Uh, but that's really not what characters like Ramsey espouse. That's not what a lot of these characters in the game espouse. That is that is the vantage point of the Reapers. And I guess that's a perfectly valid viewpoint. But here is where I think the um, the heart of the game is just build out for you yeah um and and it's done in a way where it's rare characters lecturing this big disney uh intellectual property which i kind of love it's you know my biggest fear going into this was that they were going to let the pirates of the caribbean characters and especially jack sparrow sort of trample everything else it's more important you know let let it run wild here it's it's the rare character setting him straight and basically talking some sense into him. Yeah, and with that, one thing I like is that um I mean up to this point in the story, we have barely interacted with Jack Sparrow at all. Um like we've had references yeah. to the rides and stuff like that and we've had references to this thing and that thing, but the story that we're actually living through is purely like our pirates story. We are on an adventure that kind of almost has nothing to do with the Pirates of the Caribbean, other than it. those are the um, elements that kickstart this story in action. And so, like, yeah, we're, we go to the Sea of the Damned and go to this cool place to try and rescue Jack, but we don't see him till the end of that story. And and up to that point, we're just, we're at this cool location in the Sea of the Damned. And then then we're going, we're like, okay, we found his shipwreck, but then we get uh, 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 absorbed into this siren attack uh, storyline that has nothing to do with the Pirates of the Caribbean. And then we decide to go back to the Sea of Dam to follow through Jack's memories. And this is the most on the nose, like tied to Pirates of the Caribbean, but it's still not Jack's story. It's our story trying to catch up to Jack and he doesn't show up until the end, really. Um, and so we're three fifths of the way in and it's still like not like. It's not like Jack is the one going on an adventure and we're just witnessing it like like it happens when you watch a movie. Uh, we are going on this adventure and Jack happens to be an element of the story. Um, yeah. So I love that. I love this tavern. I love seeing all these characters come back from the previous Tall Tales. And I love that you're right. This is what introduces the theme of the work, the theme of this conflict which in the in the shores of gold story, the theme was like gold versus glory. It's not about greed. It's not about amassing wealth. It is about it, the sense of adventure, uh, and that was the shores of gold. In this story, it is about um, what does it mean to be a pirate, and what does it mean to be free, and how we all have to work together to defend that. And that, like, it's bigger than the, any individual. And um, this rousing speech moment is kind of where that takes the center stage as, like, this is the theme. This is the story that's going to be told. 
Um, yeah, you can be a, p- a pirate and still be a good person in the Sea of Thieves. Right, that's, which is the theme the heart of, of the, the very first Pirates of the Caribbean film. He he was a pirate and he was a good man. And I'm I'm Will Turner. I'm boring as milk toast, but I I will defend him and 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 set him free. And he's gonna do some Jack Sparrow stuff. They're gonna play that song, dun, 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 and then they're all gonna say yay, and we clap. And that's the first movie, which is an all-time classic. Um, and I think they really latched onto the right elements of the movies that just perfectly jive with the philosophy of the game. Right, because it's not just bringing in characters and references. It, it is like, thematically, what is the unifying, I guess, thesis of these two distinct pirate works? How can we unify them so they feel like they are speaking in conversation with, with each other rather than talking over each other? In conversation. Um Ah, ah, that's the show. And yeah, so this is great. And also, I absolutely adore the tavern just because I'm such a nerd for all of the minute little uh, references. I, I'm like, oh, look, there's uh, ghost instruments on the back wall. There's there. Oh, look, the Wild Rose's sword is in the little sold holster. And well, yeah, we didn't even say who came back. Like, who, yeah, who, who is in who this Who are tavern. the captains of the damned in this titular, uh, you know, tall tale, captains of the damned? And they are Arthur Pendragon, uh, Wild Rose, and George. The I guess you would say that... Are, are they married? I mean, the whole point of their story is that they got interrupted and killed and cursed on their wedding day, on the day they were to be married. But then we we release their souls. I have to imagine that they're at least uh, informally married. They're, I mean, marriage is just this legal construct. If and they they're want ghosts. to say they're, there's no there's no yeah, laws. If they want to say their husband and wife in the afterlife. Who's the stuff? Anyway, so they're the, yeah, R- Wild Rose and her husband George, and uh, also Captain Slate, who I think that for the average person is probably is like the least exciting of those three. Uh, but for me, is not less exciting than those other three. Um, I I'm super excited to see Captain Slate here. I think that he's in a part of the saga of the Shores of Gold where, for a lot of people, the story it hits a, a lull or a drag that they're uh, not as invested in. Like there's high points, like the Wild Rose story, and yeah. obviously the ending, the Shores of Gold, is a high point. And I feel like the Morning Star bit is where a lot of people are like kind of just trying to get through it. And I still um, love the characters and love the story. I love Captain Slate. Um, Especially if you go back and read Athena's Fortune, the novel, uh, Eli Slate really, I think you get to know him there a bit more uh, because he's still a supporting character there, but you get a sense that, oh, he is also a good man. You know? Um, Yes. So. so, yeah, we've got these captains, and we've got these references. There's also the reference to uh, Tasha, the tavern keeper from the legendary storyteller Tall Tale, uh, which is a much more under-the-nose reference uh, there. But, uh, yeah, and I mean... Her dad's there. Yeah, her, 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 dad, dad's her dad the is the tavern keeper. You yeah. just have to kind of in- infer that based on context clues. And that is great. It's just like a lot of great little references here. On top of the great storytelling that happens here. 
I think this was the first moment, maybe uh, you know, releasing Gibbs and, and everyone else at the end of the second tale was like, whoa, that's cool. My pirate is interacting with Gibbs. But this this was the moment where I actually got a little bit of uh, chills, where it's just like, oh, Arthur Pendragon from the ultimate play the game era of Rare is lecturing Jack Sparrow while my pirate and and my my crewmates are are watching and, and Pendragon is talking about us and um to Jack Sparrow and that that was like making me feel the things that I think rare especially somebody like Mike Chapman would want me to feel right um so like this I think this is why this is this tall tale was really pulled up for me with this whole ending sequence which is just dialogue and it just like the immersion of getting to experience this, but it works. It, it works so well. This is a story high point, uh, and there's a lot of, like, stuff to see and stuff to experience, like, as a story. Um, but it's like what I said before, is that some of these tales are something that, like, it really nails it as, like, a one-time experience. You're like, I'm satisfied by the story I just experienced, but I don't necessarily want to repeat it a bunch of times. And then other ones, like the, the first one and the second one, well, especially the second one, because the first one, like, if you know the so- puzzle solution, you know it. But I still like the first one to repeat. But the second one especially, I can repeat that one, because because the crux of it isn't just the story, it's the mechanical combat and puzzle, or well, not really the puzzles, but the combat set pieces. This is a tale I think, absolutely, I don't have a strong desire to repeat. But that doesn't mean it that no, doesn't mean that it not. didn't do its job. Yeah, I like that these can are like done in one. You know, like the only tall tale you you can theoretically get all the journals, all the commendations in one go in every single tall tale except the last one, which does have a built in you've got to play this twice mechanic. Um but that is such a refreshing change over the first wave of tall tales where you've got to play them all five times no ifs ands or buts to get everything which i still haven't done i still haven't played all those five times because it is it is daunting um they dial those back in the two uh like pendragon flameheart tall tales uh to three uh and and i think they made it work really well with the second one where they gave you three different routes to go but um I, I I appreciate that these are done in one for the most part um, because I feel like you get your bang for your buck, but there's not arbitrary padding to just go back and do them again. You can, but if you I want think that to, the average but... person, if you didn't have a guide to help you, would need to do these more than once. If you wanted to find sure. every journal and find where those hidden uh, Easter eggs or, or like side quests are, you would uh, maybe not all of them, but definitely maybe most of them would require uh, more than one time through, especially because personally speaking, I do not think that people should spend a half an hour looking for a journal their first time through a tale because it's going to really like slow down the pacing of the storytelling. So I think ignore the journals your first time through, just experience the story at the pace that the story moves and then repeat it and look for journals. Now, when you and I do it together, I know where the journals are. So I can just say, all right, before we move on, let's come read this journal. Um, so, yeah. So, I recommend getting a Jeff. That's an option. Yeah. But, yeah. And then, then we sail back to 
the Sea of Thieves, out of the Sea of the Damned, and uh, Jack, who is now a ghost, still, he's a ghost, he's a dead person. Uh, but- yeah, because he didn't come back through the fairy door, he just came back through the portal, um, so he he is a ghost, He he's a ghost man walking around. Uh, but he's like, well, wow, I'm a ghost, this is wild, I'm gonna have to go, like, explore this, and figure out what's, you know... I, I, he's, he's basically turned around to our cause by the speech that Pendragon gives, uh, but he's still, like, figuring some stuff out. So he's not, like, with us right now. And then we have to, like, you know, however much time passes, then we can continue the story with the tale four. It's, it's pretty daring, right, to make this deal with Disney and be like, all right, we got this great idea. What if we take Pirates of the Caribbean, but we make it the movie Ghost Dad? Because <laughs> um. <laughs> that's not something you would say in your pitch, right? Because one, that movie starred Bill Cosby. Ugh. But two, that's ridiculous. But I love that Jack Sparrow is basically dead throughout this whole adventure. Yeah. It, it's it's not something I expected, even watching that trailer. Right. Well, and you know, you said before about uh, going into this feeling neutral or like uh, ready to experience what it is, but not knowing what it's going to be. Not not going in negative, not going in pessimistic, like, like this is a cash grab, this is going to be tacky, but going in not really knowing what form is this going to take and hoping that it's pretty respectful to Sea of Thieves and doesn't like undermine it and make it a lesser and all these things and you have all these thoughts and then um when you actually play it what i love is that uh it's still a sea of thieves story up to this point and and beyond this point it's still a sea of thieves story it's not a pirates of the caribbean story it's a sea of thieves story that is ignited by pirates of the caribbean characters being there yeah, and they're they're the instigators but it's also interweaving with things that were already happening in the exactly, of and then one of the things that I, I was worried about is building up to the release of it. Uh, we're hearing like, "Oh, when you go to the Sea of the Damned, you'll be able to revisit Jack's memories." And I'm sitting here thinking, like, "Okay, we're just going to be revisiting set pieces from the films." That's like what the whole yeah. saga is going to be. It's like, "Oh, Jack Sparrow comes to Sea of Thieves. We relive set pieces from all five films, and 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 they just recreate the movies in the game." That is not what I wanted. And that is not what they did. They created a fully original story that moves the Sea of Thieves world forward. And it happens to effortlessly and, and perfectly tie in these characters from this other universe that are come here and are part of it. Um, so, yeah, I love that. Because this tale could have been way more tacky. This could have just been, hey, remember when this happened in the movie? Remember this part in the movie? And we're just reliving scenes. And that's not what we remember. Want. Carlos from the ride. It's Carlos, <laughs> everyone. He's the mayor. Uh, no, but I think you know we we do know um, from from chats we've had that this whole tavern scene was the first thing they wrote uh, in in all five tall tales, and I think it it is the most critically important scene in all five. And because they made that work, everything else kind of worked as a result. 
because because at this point I was on board with Jack Sparrow and he, as he was on board with us, haha. But you know, I, I I was like, all right, I'm sold. I'm sold on whatever wherever this story goes from this point on. I'm no longer worried about the Pirates of the Caribbean stuff overshadowing the rare stuff. I feel like they're working in concert with each other. Let's do this. Um, and I think that's important for the last two tall tales uh, because you don't want to have that kind of hanging over you uh, as a as a hardcore Sea of Thieves fan. You you just want to, to enjoy the story as it reaches its climax. Right. So at this point, now we've fully called the hero to action and we've... And we've- We've understood where he's at and and what needs to be done, but uh, now it's time to get into the villain and what is the nature yeah. of this impending doom that we need to prevent? What is the nature of the plot and the villain's motivation and what has Davy Jones been doing all this time that we need to interfere with? And that is tale number four, The Dark Brethren. Uh, this is where shit gets real. Yeah, and this is where Jack finally comes aboard our ship. Uh, but before he does that, we uh, get the reveal uh, that the castaway is actually Shock, Tia Dalma, Shock, Calypso, and Shock. Yeah, Shock, Calypso's here, um, and Jack joins the ship, right? So, uh... This is cool because this is the thing you alluded to before. Jack goes around our ship just commenting on stuff and kind of being like a little shit. And, um... Yeah, it's kind of like the Greek chorus where Rare gets to take the piss out of themselves with this character from another property, right? So it's kind of like having an outsider come in to to sort of point out how nonsensical your world is, which I love. Like, uh, oh, oh, it was, uh... Lost gold for or like lost gold fortress. How can it be lost if it's on this map? Uh, or like uh, he's you know Devil's Roar, Devil's Ridge, uh, Devil's Thirst. You know pirates are really clever with their names. Like the little the little digs, um, and that's fun. And it just kind of happens as you're sailing uh, to the location this tale takes place, which is at the Coral Fortress, which is once again uh, not a private instance you do not go to a portal um although because this is later in the sequence of tales there was less bunching up of players uh not not to say it didn't happen gibbon uh i am gibbon in our live stream chat uh has said that it took gibbon five attempts to complete the dark brother and tale uh because of other players having been there or just being there at the same time or going through and, and breaking the puzzles. Like the puzzles are broken if someone else is there or if someone is, is, is like 10 minutes ahead of you or whatever, like, um, or the, you know, and especially if you're the kind of players like most of us are that take our time and are looking for journals and stuff like that. Uh, other players coming up behind us are going to catch up and then they're going to ruin everything for the, like, my advice to anyone is if you're doing tale four or tale two and you even have a whiff that there's another player in the area doing the tale server hop and start from scratch. It is not worth your time uh, because you can get halfway through or 80% through and then find that it's broken and you can't complete it uh, because this other crew is here. Or even if it's not broken, they could just ruin the experience for you. They could talk over the cutscenes. They could just kill you. Um, 
it's a learning experience, I think, uh, because it just could have easily been avoided. Uh, the fifth tale is also in the shared world, but it doesn't have that problem because there's multiple locations it can take place and they can send d- crews to different places. If another crew is doing it, they can go somewhere else. And that's how every tall tale did before this, mostly. Um, they, there was multiple locations you could go to. Now, that being said, the Coral Fortress is a really cool location. It is the now the most northerly spot on the Sea of Thieves map, where once there was the Devil's Shroud, it has receded, and you, you can sail to this giant, glistening uh, castle made of, made of coral. And actually, isn't it supposed to be like the Disney castle? Yeah, they, they used it that way in the trailer, to be like the Disney castle, uh, Disney intro. Uh-huh. And that's very clever. Another clever aspect of it is that the, the Sirens built this for Davy Jones uh, because he cannot set foot on land. That's like a part of his curse. Oh, that's right. So, um, I forgot about Davy that. Jones cannot set foot on land except one day every 10 years because of his curse. But because the sirens built him this coral fortress, it is not land. It is of the sea is what they say in the game, like in the lore. This is built from of the sea. It is, it is like setting foot on the seabed and not on land. Um, that's clever. So, yeah, we have this cool fortress, and Jack can get into the fortress because uh, Jack has a locket that belonged to Calypso that is the other half of a locket that David Jones has because he cannot get over his ex. Um, <laughs> no, no, get Like, dude, how long has it been? Like, like I, I've been hung up on some exes in, in my life, but, you know, it, it only took me... I think the most severe was, like three years and that's just because it was just a crisis of self-confidence it wasn't that i was actually hung up on her i was hung up on the idea of her yeah well and in uh at least i mean it's not like your significant other uh was bound to a chest of eternal sorrow and then you're unable to ever release them from their suffering you just got dumped guy like move on like uh (laughs) anyway so we get in the we get in the fortress uh, and basically you navigate through this fortress. Uh, there's journals to find. Uh, again, the journals can be pretty obtuse. In this one, there's there's ten of them in a row. It's not like the other ones where they're like, oh, there's five journals in this area specifically, and there's five journals in this other area. This one is just like, no, there's ten journals and you're gonna have to find them all. And they're, they're you know, but um, there's a side quest thing with these levers that that uh, is not. A fun one, personally speaking, but um, <laughs> as the guy who had to solve it instead of just get told the solution, it was not that fun. Now, look, I pulled enough levers in Donkey Kong sixty four for a lifetime. <laughs> I I had to work up to earn, to unlock that ability. Uh, but yeah, we navigate through the tower, through the fortress again, once again using those merfolk statue puzzles. Uh, you can arrange the arm of the statue in. A, you know, high, low, medium, and there's like a, a mural somewhere in the room that will show you what the arrangement needs to be. And so you just find the mural, find the statue, arrange it how it has to be, and you've input the code into the lock. And it it's and, and this this all started to feel a little samey, I will admit. Um it, this just felt like a less novel reheating of the second tale, the sunken pearl. But um, again, because I was sailing it 
or, or doing it, I was sailing with a crew of four. Uh, I was with my friends. I was in a good headspace. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and and I, I feel like that's why Jebaha made the right call, saying he was waiting for uh, his, his crew to do these. Um, not to say you couldn't do these, with, you know, a less than galleon crew or even by yourself. But I think you're going to get so much out of it, having that sense of discovery with your friends. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so that my, my only issue with the puzzle with the, with those Smurfolk puzzles is that the, the mechanism that you can input the solution, uh, it invites more variety than they take with it. They could have gone farther and done different things with it, but they didn't. Like an example is, uh, how do you figure out what code to put into the statue? You look around the room and you find it on a wall. That, but you could find other ways to hide that information, um, or or to other ways to convey that information with puzzles. Um, the other thing is that sometimes a statue is missing a siren gem in in its heart, and you have to fight some ocean crawlers to get that siren gem. But every time, it's just fight the ocean crawlers. They drop the gem, put it in the statue, and now the statue works. They could they could come up with other puzzles on how to hide that gem. And I just think that it's mainly like there's potential for this input mechanism to have more variety, and they don't uh, take advantage of it. In the first set of tales, they have those puzzle vaults where you can spin the block, and you have to spin the four blocks to the right arrangement and hit the enter button. And between those nine tall tales, they, they, they use those blocks like five, six times, uh, or maybe more because it's like four different times in the shores of gold. And I feel like they do a good job of adding a ton of variety to this very simple mechanism. You just spin some blocks and, and set it up in the right way. But, but how do we get that information to you is they, they have a lot of creativity with how they do it in this tale. It's basically the same puzzle every time. And we already did that once in the second tale. So as a puzzle, mechanically, it's just not all that exciting. Now, what this tale does great, though, other than how awesome the visuals of, like, the location is, like, these giant chambers um, are really cool. But it is the set pieces. Uh, yeah. When you fall down, like, the water slide, and then you open up into the chamber with the Flying Dutchman. Yeah, the the water slides in particular really like we're we're done with all the the theme park uh, worshiping at this point, but this does feel like maybe a little bit of an extension of that where we've got like I know there's no water slide in the actual Pirates of the Caribbean ride, but it does feel like uh, a, a amusement park set piece. Like I'm going down this uh, this water slide. This uh, I I am the log flume. Uh, so that I, I really enjoyed, even though, the, like, you had to tell us which path to take because you could you could miss um, a path and there's a commendation for it. And so that was kind of yeah, stressful. There was a, like, make sure you, you... Yeah. The commendation was like, it, it was like, it, if you held a direction and go down a side path on this water slide, you would get a, a commendation. But they don't advertise that to you and you have no way of knowing that there's side paths unless you do it by trial and error. And so it's basically impossible to do on your first try, unless you know it's coming. Unless you have a Jeff. Unless you have a Jeff. And and this tale is one that's definitely not fun to repeat. 
So this is the one that I think <laughs> if you don't have a guide, this is the one that takes the most repetition to figure out because the side quest is a really tricky puzzle and the journals are really hard to find. Um, so I think that this is the one that would definitely take three-ish tries to complete if you didn't have a guide. Um, it's it's a great tale one time through. I don't know if it's super fun to just go through three times through just trying to find that last journal um, or or whatever. But yeah, the water side, and you said the water side, like kind of like a theme park thing. I think of it like a Goonies reference, an homage. And I think that oh, that yeah. is so quintessentially Sea of Thieves to be building these set piece moments and being like evoking the Goonies. Because what happens? You go through a water side, you end up in a chamber with this big reveal of a pirate ship. And also on that same pirate ship is an organ piano puzzle, which is also one of the puzzles that happens in Goonies. All of this happens in quick succession and they all happen in the Goonies movie. So I, I like to think it's probably an intentional homage. Um, but either way, I mean, oh, sure. if you're evoking the Goonies, you're Look, doing something right in Sea of Thieves. If I can, if I can argue that thing was a Donkey Kong reference in the last tale, this is absolutely a Goonies reference in this tale. Right, and I, I love that. I like, I really like just being able to board the Flying Dutchman and walk around. It's something, and, and that's that's one of those um, itches that you want scratched, right? You you want Jack Sparrow to sail on your ship, in this case, the Dreadfully Evil. You want to explore some familiar architecture from those movies, like the Black Pearl, which is sunk at this point, or the Flying Dutchman, because they are so unlike the ships we are used to in Sea of Thieves that it is just so much fun getting to traipse about yeah, them. Yeah, and the, and the Flying Dutchman has such intricate architecture. And, um, you know, there's the, the big organ room. There's the giant, like, statues and... Uh, sculpture work and things, and it, it is just like gorgeous and and overloaded with amazing intricate details. Uh, they did an amazing job uh, on that, and you get to go on board, you get to solve the little organ puzzle, and then you get to fight some ocean crawlers using the ship's cannons. You have that like whole you yeah. know creepy chant: "Part of the ship, part of the crew, part of the ship, part of the crew." You know, and then you fight some ocean crawlers, which are, I guess, the Sea of Thieves analog of Jones' cursed nautical crew. Yeah, just a couple of degrees removed from that. Different curses, different ways of creating them, but still. Yeah, it's still crap on. people. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, I think this architecturally is awesome. I think mechanically, it's not as cool as like the Kraken fight when you're fighting ocean crawlers on the, on the silver blade. But like in a lot of ways, this tale feels like we're retreading some of what the second tale did, but with different, different skins, different set pieces. Um, but I mean, yeah, that's almost like a childhood, like uh satisfying thing is like being able to just walk around and look at the flying Dutchman. Like, like if you could pause the movie and just walk around the set, you know what I mean? Uh, and you finally get to do that. So that's great. Um, if, if you could walk around the Millennium Falcon, and you can't do that with the Silver Blade because they just use it as an elevator, uh, so it's not quite the same. Right. Uh, <laughs> we're going to stop hammering home that joke. Um, Nobody even knows what that joke is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, yeah, yeah. But then you know, you you progress through the tower. You do puzzles with the merfolk statues. Um, I really like climbing these large caverns. I like these big, gigantic open rooms. because uh, I feel like I'm just now thinking off the top of my head. I don't feel like there's a lot of locations in Sea of Thieves that are these gigantic open caverns like this. It's and they're beautiful. They're full of no. these corals and 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 merfolk things and uh, siren things. It's it's cool. Uh, but then, you know, we get to that moment, you get to, uh, near the end and, uh, the real payoff of this tale, the real, like satisfying thing that sets this tale apart from every other tale is a cutscene, a really, really interesting cutscene. We say it's a cutscene, but it's like everything else in the game. It's from our pirate's perspective. So it's possible you can miss this. Uh, entirely, you you can progress too far, and they will stop talking. They'll just poof out of there. Um, so so you have to be a sneaky sneak, and you you can't just be rushing in, guns a blazing. Um, but if if you take your time and you creep and you get in the right position, you will see the titular dark brethren, which they're basically the uh, the legion of supervillains, uh, Injustice League, whatever, of uh, of Sea of Thieves. This is a union of evil, and it's not just oh, here's all these villainous characters from throughout the uh, the history of the game thus far. There's also a little bit of a heartbreak in there where we see one character has finally broken bad. Duke. Dukey, dukey, duke. Yeah. And we knew this was coming. Like, it, it wasn't, like, out of left field, like, uh, a pro wrestling heel turn. This, this, this has been built up to throughout the months. Um, I mean, more than... It's been a year at this point, right? Like, Duke's slow turn... To darkness. I mean, more than a year. He, he he's been through some shit. This Duke has. He's been traumatized as he's been investigating uh, what we now know as the arrival of Davy Jones and um, his machinations to rule uh, the Sea of Thieves and um, and and basically the the uprising of the Sirens. Duke has been investigating this, and he's kind of been worn down by it and he's kind of come to davy jones side and something i love about this i what i love about this part of the story uh this this uh assemblage of the dark brethren um is that the arc of this story of like what what is davy jones plan what is he doing at any given moment um it is dynamic it is reactive it is uh you know i, I think that in uh a lot of games the villain will explain their plot at the start of the game and then they will sit in their castle and wait for you to go through the game so you can stop their plot at the end like they that's it like the plot the plot is set up at the beginning and it doesn't change they're just like okay now you go through the whole game while they sit and wait in their castle for you to come kill them uh in in this it's no like davy jones comes and he makes a, a pact with the sirens because the sirens can build him fortresses to make a new locker because here he has no power over uh over the afterlife but that's where he gets his right. power is by compelling pirates into his service or else they'll be locked in his locker 
And uh, so the sirens are going to build him his new locker, but we kill the siren queen and she is dead and not even alive. So he, so he has, he's kind of on his back foot. He seeks out in, you know, advice from his boss, which we'll talk about. Um, and, calls together and forms this dark brethren of people with like interests because now he needs you know he needs a backup plan and they said well oh well we can't we can't build siren uh we, we can't just rule the sea with the sirens uh, then i guess we're gonna have to wage war against the fairy man that's our backup plan um and take over the sea of the damned and so yeah they they the story does not progress like this happened and then this happened and then this happened uh, the story progresses like this happened and therefore this happened, which caused yeah. this thing, which caused this. Like, it's not just a bunch of junk. It's not just a bunch of things. It's dynamic. It's dynamic. And it's a great, uh, it's a great story. I like it. I like the story. Um, but yeah, so Duke is here. Duke is evil. Wanda is here and Wanda has turned on Flameheart. Wanda the Warsmith. Wanda just Wanda just goes with the wind. Wanda was for herself at first, and then she she became a full disciple of Flameheart. Um and now now Wanda's aligned with Davy Jones. She had her Harley Quinn moment. And um Yeah. And so that's dynamic. That's that's an evolution uh, a progression of our story so far. Then we have the Gold Hoarder has returned and and oh wow like you know we we thought we killed that guy but we we always knew we probably hadn't seen the last of him and here he is but he's all coral infested and it it kind of maybe opens the imagination of like what happened to him like is has he been transformed in some way by the sirens like what's his but he's still obsessed with gold as always and and that this great fan pleasing moment where uh Davy Jones buys his allegiance by giving him the 882 pieces of Cortez's cursed Aztec gold from the first Pirates of the Caribbean film. That is cool. And he's already a skeleton, so it doesn't really matter, does it? Um, But yeah, it's like if this was the Austin Powers crossover, this would be the point where we see Goldmember. Right, and he'd Covered be like, coral. "I love gold." All right, of, that's what he all says. All of his skin is peeled off because it's always peeling, <laughs> and he eats it. Uh, yeah, but the go- the gold hoarder's been reconstituted with coral. Um, maybe some siren magic there. We we don't really know, but he he's kind of like a zombie, but not really a zombie because he was already kind of a zombie. You know, it, it it's fun. It's fun. It's just fun times. Uh, so yeah, we got this cool moment, all the villains talking, Davy Jones kind of explaining, uh, you know, the plan and, and, and you've got all these conflicting motivations of these, each character is kind of on their own different arc, but they're all united under this similar, like evil machination or, or like end game. And so, uh, yeah, this is just like the moment of the saga in terms of like, a, oh shit, cutscene like a a, a just really satisfying and shocking plot moment yeah i mean we had all those heroic characters in the tavern of the damned the last tall tale this is the villain's turn for that so and and again it's like having all these sea of thieves villains that we've all tangled with in the past that that have all had an event centered around them minus duke but you know now now 
Duke's just a, a baby villain. Um, it, it is um, a way to celebrate Sea of Thieves and not just have it be, and now Davy Jones is the big bad, Pirates of the Caribbean time. No, it all works, again, together. Right. Yeah, and um, there is also the plot reveal that is the biggest oh shit for only the most diehard Sea of Thieves nerds, which is the name dropping of the captain. The, the, this uh-huh. kind of, uh, incredibly mysterious character, the captain, who apparently has Davy Jones' heart. And is, and Davy Jones is, uh, working for him. And all of this plot uh, that is unfolding is, is kind of the machinations of this character that we have known, uh, existed in the background, but has thus far not directly influenced the video game at all but they appeared in the tales from the sea of thieves novel they were the one that cursed flameheart jr um because the whole point of the flameheart jr in the silver blade arc was to set up the captain and to transition the story over to nine cat Nura, and bell not not to get the entire phantom to obsess over this bad pirate who can't even sail good uh flameheart jr and his no. and his ship that was just name dropped barely um and yeah, the captain, the captain is is like the whole, oh shit moment of the saga for people who are just like obsessed with those little details. Like, oh my god, the 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 guy who only was in that like expanded universe book from three years ago. Um, yeah, that gets me excited. That kind of stuff. Yeah, and and so like the the fact that there is a bigger bad out there that Davy Jones is but a pawn in somebody else's game. Like, that just affords them years of storytelling potential and opportunity, so... But is the Captain... Captain Barbosa? Is the Captain Black Eye? Captain Hook. Anyway. Uh, I, I also was worried when they... The Captain and Tennille. Ca- captain Insano shows no mercy. Um, when I... When I heard the intro to this story, we're going to, like, Davy Jones has called together his own brethren court of evil, and we're going to go interrupt it. I was a little nervous that this was just going to be a cavalcade of Disney characters. Like, oh, I'm I'm <laughs> yes. calling together a council of evil, so we've got Captain Hook and, uh, I don't know, Scar from The Lion King and... Uh, <laughs> And I don't uh, the the the, the disease that killed the wife on Up, uh, <laughs> and 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 that guy who collects toys in Toy Story Two, um, but no, we didn't get that. It was it was a firmly Sea of Thieves entrenched uh, story, not not just like a Disney blowjob, and it was great. I love it. Oh, there goes our Disney sponsorship because you said the words Disney blowjob, which they do not offer. Yeah, but I I would give HBO Max a blowjob if we could get that one going. Anyone? No? All right. Well, contact our our people, our emails. Getting a Disney blowjob with the service, that's what they call a Disney Plus. (laughs) Yeah, but for the premiere access, you have to pay. I don't know. (laughs) I, I, oh man, Disney, that's a company. Um, so, so then we had to fight the gold hoarder. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, I had some trauma-related flashbacks here, because the last time I fought the gold hoarder, I died right when he died, meaning I missed the entirety of the cul- like culmination of the nine tall tales 
or, or 10 to however many it was for the Shores of Gold campaign. I missed the entire cutscene because I was on the ferry. Not, the not only did you miss it, your streaming audience missed it because they, yeah. they were watching your perspective on the Fairy of the Damned while the cutscene yeah. aired without you. But uh, yeah, it we fought the Gold Hoarder. Terrible. Jack is involved dropping us uh, supplies and stuff. And uh, he's up in the rafters being all ghostly. Uh, while the gold hoarder and Davy Jones are like trying to like do a uh, ritual, um, uh-huh. and and uh, yeah, we we kill that guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure the gold hoarder will be back at some point, but um, yeah, uh, he he's dead again, and um. Then we, uh, then what? Well, then, then, then we return to our ship and return to Outpost because Calypso speaks to us in her disembodied voice and she's getting more and more powerful over time. Uh, she arrived in the Sea of Thieves uh, coming from another world and she kind of, uh, is weak and like, is like, I'm trying to get my bearings and she's hearing the whispers on the winds of this evil plot that's unfolding. But as she progresses, she's getting more and more power in this realm so she talks to us and she's all like hey come on back to the outpost we gotta we gotta do something about this stuff and we're just like that's actually her voice that was a spot on impression i have to i have to be very careful not to try to attempt to do her voice because i don't think it's in good taste for me to do it's not no you can't you can't do that so so when when carlos the mayor when i hear her speak it's hey come on back we gotta we gotta do something guys um (laughs) They're, they're making me real mad. Uh, wow. I would have never guessed her identity, though, if she spoke with that accent. Yeah, it would have made her a lot more of a plot twist. It's mysterious. Um, yeah. yeah and, then, and then we're right up to tail five. So, so Jones uh, oh. is going to open a, uh, a portal. He's going to open basically a, a total assault on the Sea of Thieves from the Sea of the Damned. Uh, he sent his dark brethren to the Sea of the Damned to recruit ghosts. And their recruiting pitch is pretty good because these ghosts have basically been forsaken by the ferryman for violating the pirate code. They just don't get to respawn. And they're all out there just like stuck in repetitious hell. So so I I hadn't considered it. Are these supposed to be representative of all banned players in Sea of Thieves? I mean, essentially, yeah, because the ferryman is just like a, a... uh a a stand-in for that like the he he doesn't let you respawn if you if you violate the pirate code so yeah i guess uh, yeah these are the cheaters and uh idiots and uh but like if you're one of them and you are stuck in never-ending purgatory and then um a man with a beard named duke comes in and says well do you want to join our army and take over the sea of thieves you're going to be like, yeah, I got nothing else going on in all of eternity. So, like, it's yeah. a good pitch. Um, and they, they're they going to wage some war, but we're going to wage some war back. Because now, f- we said last time Jack got to join the ship. This is when Jack really joins the ship. Because we stay on our ship for 90% of this tale. Yeah, th- th- this whole tale is basically, minus like one or two bits, this is basically an elaborate ship battle, uh, similar to the Flameheart ghost ship battles 
Um, but uh, obviously with a lot more bells and whistles and weight behind it. Right. And we get a lot of story unfolding here with Calypso and, and uh, Jones, and Jones is basically irredeemable. Um, and so we're going to probably kill that guy. Uh, he's already been dead once. Like, the, is, is it spelled out how he's back? Because I know the end of the fifth Pirates of the Caribbean movie, Will Turner gets his curse lifted. He's no longer captain of the Flying Dutchman. And as that that just provides the mechanism for Davy Jones to come back as seen in the end credits or hinted at at the end credits, right? Well, like the, the way uh, it, because my understanding is that it, it well, this is a Disney film. And so the way that the fan favorite villain has returned is somehow. Okay, but I'm just saying, like, that that is the most logical assumption, is that because Will Turner lifted the curse, uh, captaincy it, yeah. of the uh, Flying Dutchman has reverted back to Davy Jones. Yeah, it's because there has because- to be a captain. The Flying Dutchman yeah. had a vacancy, and there has to be a captain. And I think that that's basically what they allude to. Like, Jack himself doesn't really understand it, but he says, I suppose the, the Dutchman needs a captain. So that's how he's returned. Yeah. Um, in it, and that's just fine. Um, but he's now, uh, after this, you know, trinket that, that Jack had, or Jack stole from him, and, and then he, they chases Jack into the Sea of Thieves to get it, and he ends up trying to take over the Sea of Thieves by teaming with the Sirens, who, uh, they have a mutual kind of suffering in common, him and the Siren Queen, because of their, like, lost loves and, uh, just pent up animosity of of that so they're they're both kind of singing a song of sorrow and so they they're like well let's just work together and take over the seas but anyway uh you said the third story was the one with the most emotional resonance for you the end of it um this one for me is that for me this is like a payoff of that because um so we're fighting these ghosts. The Black Pearl comes back as also a ghost. It's because these are just constructs that are manifested as memories of the dead. So, um, you know, not all memories are bad things. We have the Black Pearl to come back. And Jack dons, you know, the captainship of that once again. And then all the other captains come to aid us in our fight. The people that we, through all of our journeys through the years, have saved and helped in the afterlife uh, are now going to have our back. Um, and so we've got Slate, Wild Rose, Pendragon, um, not to mention George. And, uh, they all come in in this rousing speech of, like, defending the Sea of Thieves from tyranny. And I don't know, that, that's the moment that made me tear up in the whole saga. Um, the swelling of the music in this climactic final moment in this speech that they're giving. That, that's the moment for me. Yeah, so you actually get to have this like naval fleet, right? You're uh, like you're you're with the Black Pearl and um, the Morning Star, the Black Witch, the Morning Star. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was like, oh, because <laughs> because I, I always forget the Morning Star because it it shares the name of a frozen vegetarian meat alternative oh, brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kellogg. Like the 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 uh, the burgers. Yeah, and the chicken nuggets and and all of that. Like it's based when you're starting out as a vegetarian, that's what you generally eat because it's just easy. I think a morning star uh, is like a kind of weapon, like a medieval weapon. 
Uh, yeah, it's also uh, like Lucifer. Oh, it means Morning Star. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a lot. It means a lot of things uh, to a lot of different people, and to me, it means a ship and Sea of Thieves uh, <laughs> with a bear on it. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, they all come. They get to help us in this naval battle. Also, this is the cool part. Before that happened, Jack is on our ship, but he's also manning our cannons. Um, yeah. And that's what makes this tale also like doable as a solo player um but this is like a moment that's very like i think emphasized in the trailer but it doesn't happen until this last tale when jack finally is like helping you on the cannons and like actually contributing to your crew and not just walking around speaking dialogue um that is cool and uh yeah i love that that's what you want that's what you wanted i mean I knew, I knew, I triggered that. Uh, but it, it's you wanted Jack Sparrow on your ship, you know, especially if you're like us and you know you 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 have a lot of like f- your own fanon behind your ship. We're, our ship is the dreadfully evil, right? And and we we kind of have this setting where like we have like four captains on our ship. It's not just like one captain and a crew. That's how most people play, but you know it's. Um, and so you, you want like, oh, now Jack Sparrow from them movies is, is part of our crew, even only temporarily. That's cool. Um, have Jack Sparrow interacting with Pepito Kong. That's cool. You know, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, like the, this battle differs from the flame art battles because there are enormous merfolk statues that, um, they kind of create yeah, the, this protective shield. I believe that the other statues that we've encountered are canonically referred to as merfolk statues. And uh-huh. I believe that these ones are canonically referred to as siren statues. Um, oh, okay. And I, so, I think that both of them are used by the sirens. I don't think that that implies that, like, you know, only the merfolk use one and only the siren use one. Right. But, but yeah, that's just the name they call it. Siren statues. They're giant. You get to sail around and shoot at them. Uh, they revive their health if you don't kill them fast enough, just like a normal statue. They have like a, a, a red, uh, a red crunchy energy field around that damages you, but it's all very generous. I think this is super where they balanced it around brand new players because ship combat isn't easy, especially if you're brand new and you're solo, you have to man the sails, you have to man the repairs and you have to man the cannons. Um, so they have Jack helping you, and they made everything fairly easy. Um, I almost wish they would just go through any feature in the game like this and have a legendary um, mode where you could play it where the, the like difficulty on it isn't like super dumb easy, um, but like the commendations are the same whichever mode you try to play. So you don't have to do it like both. Like If you like easy, you can play easy. If you like hard, you can play hard. Um, but it would just... It would just balance like how much damage you're taking, how accurate are the AI and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. anyway, that's that totally minor nitpick because I like this. I like this um, ship battle that is story focused. Um, it, it's it's similar to the Flame Heart one in that way. Um, and then you get to go aboard the little coral island again, and uh, you get to meet uh, the 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 soldier man. I cannot remember his name. Um, purple nickel. No, that's not his name. Um, that's not even a name. Uh, <laughs> I, I always want to say I always want to say Commodore Norrington, but that's the other guy from the first movie. This is the guy that gets Commodore sixty four. Sure, 
uh, yeah, no, he, he gets introduced in the second movie. He's like the bad guy. Um, no, yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, he's there. That's cool. You fight some phantoms and and you basically. Well, all, all, is it him or is it just the memory of it's him? It's the memory. We had this debate. It's the memory of him because he See, did not die in the Sea of Thieves. So his ghost shouldn't even be in this realm. Yeah, it's just, that's where it gets confusing for me, because I'm like, wait, wait, okay, so that's not him, that's just the memory of him, but who's creating the memory of him? I think it's I, one of those things where the difference doesn't really matter. Um, it's, like, there's mechanically no difference, necessarily. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, he's there, you basically get up there and you reveal that inside of Davy Jones' locked chest is the locket from Calypso revealing that like that is still his like most prized possession thing and so by attacking it um it's like a conduit to channel his power or something and we we make it vulnerable for calypso to strike it up with some lightnings and um and that like basically i think that the whole tower of coral is channeling siren magic to make this uh astral assault from the sea of the damned possible um, but mm-hmm. once we make it vulnerable and, and Calypso attacks it, we have attacked the source of his, like, um, it's it's like amplifying his powers. So now he's got to just attack us on the Dutchman. We get to fight the Dutchman, uh, which is a which which is a boat. <laughs> right, but it's it's a it's a ship that has a lot of weight behind it. Not only for the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, but also in actual nautical lore. So it, it's kind of cool that we get to fight the Dutchman, uh, uh, the Flying Dutchman in Sea of Thieves. Given uh, with the with the knowledge in the chat, Cutler Beckett, Cutler Beckett was the character uh, from the East India Trading Company. I yeah, that that's that that, that sounds a lot more right than Puffernickel or whatever. Yeah, I said. Simon and Garfunkel or whatever. Um, <laughs> no, those were the two pirates from the third movie. Anyway, uh huh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we get to fight the Dutchman. I mean, that's just a cool thing. Uh, I think the only maybe it's mechanically not that different from anything other than they do have the uh, what do you call that? They they drop the capstan, which in the movies is how they summon the Kraken. Uh, but they don't summon the Kraken. It just echoes out a shockwave that damages our ship like a wraith ball. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure the game would have crashed if they actually tried to incorporate the crack in here. Yeah, it's it's fine that they didn't. It just feels like if you can't reference the Kraken, maybe don't even reference the capstan like bit because like people expect the Kraken to show up when you do that. But sure, but we already fought a Kraken. It's fine. It's fine. And then yeah, and then you uh, and, and also yeah. also the ocean crawlers are hopping on the galleon. Oh too, yeah, throughout this ship, whole battle. Yeah, they've got. been hopping on. Yeah. Which is a cool thing, and they kind of advertised it in all the lead-up, like, ocean crawlers are a new enemy type, but they can jump on your ship, so you're never safe. You, you can be attacked at any time. And uh, they don't do that. That's not even true. Uh, I They only do it during this tall tale, and I kind of wonder if it's intended that they're supposed to, but it's, like, not functional. They just need to, like, fix something uh, that they might just get patched uh, one, Maybe, one of these days, yeah. and Maybe they will start attacking us out at random sea. Um, I think that'd be cool. It'd be frustrating if yeah. you're solo and you're just trying to fish and you get attacked by a crab. Right. 
that's a that's the thing. Like, I'm glad I've got almost all the fish at this point because fishing in the game is much harder than it used to be because you're just the potential for disaster is just so much greater than it used to be. Right. Um, yeah. And then uh, we the other thing that happens there is like uh, all of your ally ships are also firing at the Dutchman. So mm-hmm. it's not like a hard like there's. I think that you can win this battle without firing a shot because your allies will probably eventually kill them. Um, and it's the shortest tall tale by far. It is super it, it, short. It's Absolutely. Breezy. Very yeah. easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl. And, uh, like from TV. And, oh. <laughs> you sink the Dutchman, and he's got this kind of like, um, I'll never be defi- defeated by the likes of you. Jack Sparrow! And then, like, on the screen, they type out all the A's and H's because he, he calls him yeah. Jack Sparrow. And uh, I love that. I love the guy doing the the David Jones voice. It's not Bill Nye, the science guy, but it is uh, a sound alike. But he's not just doing, like, purely an impression. He's a mm-hmm. little bit making it his own, and uh, I like it. I like, and he has a moment in this battle where he says something about, um, uh, oh god, I can't remember. He, he uses the word like marooned, and it, just the way he says it, it's just like molasses for your ears. Is marooned? <laughs> I don't know. It just sounds great. Scottish accents make this a Shrek inspired tale. I'm impressed, Jeff, because you actually like rolled the uh, O's there a little bit. Yeah, I could, I could try. I, you know, I, I do my tries. Uh, my yeah. my tongue, my tongue doesn't work that deftly. Arr, well, arr, not ne- um, well, I should say not in that situation, but in other situations, don't <laughs> you worry. Yeah. Well, you just gotta, a wink, you know, wink, wink, wink. You just gotta spell out all the titles of Donkey Kong Universe games, <laughs> and uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah. Look, if I can record a four-hour podcast, I can do a lot for four hours. <laughs> if you catch my drift. Uh, and and you know we've spent a lot of times in coral tombs, so we don't mind the smells of fish. Uh, <laughs> I can't even make that joke. I'm a nosmic. I don't. I don't know what anything smells like. <laughs> uh, yeah, we kill him. Uh, we don't kill him. The ferryman takes him prisoner. He's now the ferryman's prisoner. So. Um, right. The black pearl rises out of the depths as the coral, you know, tower uh, sinks into the depths. In the f- do do the merfolk revive it, or who revives the the black pearl? Um, Santa. I, I, I guess the merfolk. Yes, the merfolk did it. Yeah. Because Gibbs says so. Gibbs says some kind merfolk revive the ship. Uh, and and then the ferryman appears, and all the ghosts appear. Uh, well, we have Jack's crew on the ship, but then we have all the ghosts appear on the ship, and we have the ferryman appear, and the ferryman basically is like, uh, you know, I sh- sh- shit happens. I I should have trusted you, Mister Jack Sparrow, but I didn't. So, uh, you know, no harm, no foul. Uh, and then and then uh, we kind of we get this great epilogue cutscene, but we also get the the dynamic. Um, of of like what is this treasure we've been after the whole time and uh why what is it and why is it a big deal because uh the ferryman gives it back to jack he gives him the treasure that that he that jack stole from davy jones and davy jones stole back and why it was such a big deal that the ferryman had to like defend us from it and uh it's basically um 
a Stargate or whatever. I don't know. It's like it lets you <laughs> it lets you warp to other universes. And so they came from uh this the Pirates of the Caribbean universe, which has the East India Trading Company in it. It had Davy Jones lording over the sea. Um, but they traveled to our universe where we have the Grand Maritime Union and we have the Sea of Thieves. And they fled into the Sea of Thieves and Davy Jones followed through the portal. Um and then that's how this whole thing kicked off. Davy Jones wants to take over this Sea of Thieves. Because just the nature of us having endless pirate lives is just offensive to his sensibilities. Like, nothing can last forever. That's his whole plot. Um, yeah, and then, you know, we get the great little scene. I think this this whole epilogue here, where you can just breathe and, and hang out on the Black Pearl... Um, it it is like uh, the reward that they give you because obviously, when you hear there's a Pirates of the Caribbean crossover, you like if you're a fan of that going into it, you're going to want that moment where you get to explore the Black Pearl, absolutely, right? As as your pirate, and and so I like that it's safe for the very end here. It, it is the, the most like obvious bit of navel gazing in all five tall tales but it feels earned and it doesn't feel out of place because well, except just, except for tale all... three um when you're at the auction yeah. scene and i'm navel gazing at that red-haired pirate lady all right well this this is why it matters whether or not uh cutler beckett is a memory or not because the same will apply to your future wife jeff um so anyway, uh, but yeah, you, you get to kind of like everybody gets to have a breather after saving the Sea of Thieves and the, and the pirate's life there. And, and everybody just gets to kind of chill out on the ship. Yeah. This is after the ferryman too. the ferryman. Th- there, there's this very important bit in here where the ferryman restores life to all of these previously deceased characters who, who, have ne- who haven't gone through the cycle of death and rebirth that we have. They've just been dead. And that includes Rose, Wild Rose and George. Uh, I always want to say George and Mildred, so I, I have to, like, catch myself. I'm, I'm, they're not the I, ice cubes. I keep trying to say George, John, Paul, and Ringo, but, uh, yeah. It's... Uh, and then uh, also restores to life uh, Slate and Pendragon, although they remain ghost um, for the time being. Uh, we we've likened this to holding in a fart. Yeah, they're holding in right? the fart because they're gonna turn into be, humans, but they needed to stay ghosts so that they could teleport away. Because because this is also important. Wild Rose and George decide to join the crew of the Black Pearl and sail back with Jack to uh, cross cross the dimensional boundary and sail back with him. So they are now. At least as far as Rare is concerned, canonically members of Jack Sparrow's crew, and they are leaving the Sea of Thieves. Their their, their role in the narrative is done, and there's like it, it would be it would be like if if Rare was like, all right, um, we're gonna sell you these two characters, Disney, but you got to use them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. It, it's essentially. I don't think Disney's doing anything with Pirates of the Caribbean again. Oh, personally, but no. They're gonna they're gonna do the reboot with uh, Karen Gillian and um, no that already um, Margot Robbie they stopped talking about that and started saying it was gonna be Margot Robbie and now they I don't know if they're even still talking about that but I don't think they'll do anything probably uh, but whatever the case this is like a satisfying kind of ending 
for Rose and George. Not ending like there's their adventure is over, but um their adventures here are over and we get to see like they're going to go on and they're going to have new adventures but our, the stories that we're going to tell about them are done. Uh and and they get a happy ending too, which they they had a bittersweet ending. Now they get an actual happy ending, um, which is cool to see. And Pendragon um, and Slate are going to stay around because they want to yes. continue d- to defend the Sea of Thieves from the Dark Brethren and, and other threats because they have unfinished business. So they're going to hold in the ghost fart. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I think they, they leave the ship and then they they let it all out and they become human. I'm sure the next time they show up, they will be human. But the, um, it, it's wiggle room there because I think that whatever story they decide to tell with them and i'm sure that at the moment they wrote this they don't have every story of the future mapped out no but when they decide oh we want to bring pendragon back they have a little bit of wiggle room to say well should we keep him a ghost or should we make him a human what serves our story Mm -hmm. best because you could imagine that he just turned down the opportunity to become human um you know, I don't know. You could imagine that would happen. Like, so it could go either way. Yeah, but, you know, either way. Yeah, sometimes um, when you hold in a fart, it just comes out as a burp. <laughs> I, I I do like that they are restored to life. You know, one of my critiques of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies was it felt like death had no consequence after a certain point. But I feel like this was earned in, in a way that some of the revivals in those movies weren't. Um, and to bring back these two very important characters, restore them to life and bring them into the cycle of life and death that is in Sea of Thieves. Um, it feels like a big moment, um, uh, especially for like Pendragon, who of course has a history before Sea of Thieves in his own rare franchise. So, uh, um, and they're exploring cool in the that- uh, Sea of Thieves Origins comics, and I, I, yeah. I believe. That the third and final of those Pendragon trilogy comics are uh, releasing on Talk Like a Pirate Day, maybe, which is today. If you're listening to this, probably I don't. Uh, <laughs> There's no way to know. We're so drunk. We've been drinking uh, so long. Uh, anyway, yeah. And then you you watch the you get back to your ship or you leave the Black Pearl, and then it goes through the the portal, the shimmering gold porter port port. port. God, I've been the drinking gold so hoarder, long. Portal, portal, gold portal, hoarder, portal. the gold portal, the the gold border. Uh, yeah, banana hoarder. <laughs> yeah, and and right. and they sing the song. They they sing that song, and if you do all the commendations, if you get all the journals, do everything, uh, play the fifth tall tale twice, and and destroy enough ghost ships and uh, siren statues. You get the song in your shanty rotation. Temporary so secretary, <laughs> temporary. Yeah, that you get the song, and um, we can't play it for you because we don't want to get any copyright issues. But uh, right, Disney's already sued us because of the blowjob reference. Oh, we can't yeah. afford any more uh, litigation. It's it's just it's just not feasible. So, Jeff. Here we are at the end. Oh my god! Didn't know this was going to take four and a half hours. I did. I did. I, <laughs> I I did when when we were forty five minutes in and we weren't on the tails yet. I was like, oh okay. You know, 
sometimes sometimes we get hung up on trivial details, like when Cameron, DM Combo, and I talked about book binding for 45 minutes. And sometimes we breeze through other things. No, we didn't breeze through any of this. Um, but uh, but I, w- I want to wrap this up on this beautiful Talk Like a Pirate Day uh, with my final thoughts. And, and Jeff, established video game franchises, them crossing over with what's considered more mainstream uh, IP isn't a new thing. It's new to us at DK Vine because we are sheltered. Well, I am sheltered. A lot of our listeners are sheltered with our Nintendo-fed diets, right? How Nintendo does things is the norm to a lot of us at DK Vine. But it's really a regular thing with a lot of the industry, the broader industry these days. Aside from, you know, the habit of indie studios having their characters cross over, you know, Shovel Knight and everything, ukulele appearing and everything. You got these AAA game titles bringing in Hollywood movies and the established characters therein. Mortal Kombat, I mean, they they just cycled through all the DLC of 1980s action stars like Rambo, right? Uh, before that, in the, in the game before that, they had Horse movie slashers like uh i think freddy krueger or or was it jason Voorhees or, or somebody some, along those lines they were characters in mortal Kombat as dlc and then they had an entire game where they fought the dc universe and then that sort of spun off the uh injustice series but then you've got dead by daylight they brought in stranger things and, and stranger things is, is apparently leaving that game so uh, uh-oh uh, I think they're bringing in Hellraiser. Dead by Daylight is uh, is a horror crossover of almost every horror icon, minus Jason Voorhees. They have uh, Halloween. They have Ash Williams from The Evil Dead. They have, I think, Freddy Krueger. Um, they have the Ghostface Killer, I think, from the Scream films. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Far Cry 6 is also bringing in Stranger Things and also bringing in Rambo. So it's just... These characters are getting around. Fortnite, my god, Jeff, our favorite game. (laughs) Fortnite has Batman, the Batman, and Martin Luther King Jr. And it has Free Guy. You know, Free Guy, the beloved international icon, Free Guy, from off of the movie Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds. Don't you like Ryan Reynolds, Jeff? I sure like Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds, he's so authentic and likable. And, and I mean, he's so well considered as a brand. I mean, person, human being, Ryan Reynolds. Fuck, I love Free Guy. I love Ryan Rental. Remember when Ryan Reynolds brought back Rick Moranis for that cell phone commercial? God, Ryan Reynolds. I love Ryan Rental. He's so like me, Ryan Reynolds. I love his character. Singular. Nah, he's he's all right. Uh, anyway, but the the more apt comparison to what Rare and, and Disney, but Rare did here, um, I I think it's not so much with this kind of cheap tawdry industry trend, and it actually goes back much earlier than that. It's from a franchise that started in two thousand two and crossed over the world of Square. Squareware, uh, with the world of Disney. And that's, of course, Kingdom Hearts. 
Um, I think this is more along the lines of Kingdom Hearts. It, it's a crossover that's well-considered, well-thought-out, that is done partially because the, the dev team have a lot of affinity for it, and a lot of that what inspired their own work. So why not actually do something with it if they can? And so I feel like this is just... Uh, miles apart from free guy in Fortnite, <laughs> but i am i also realize i'm a biased little shit and i'm i'm going to be more receptive to what rare does but i don't think i'm wrong here right yeah no i think that i mean uh in the end all things considered i guess what uh, the last word i would have to say is that i i saw free guy and that you know, it's like uh that's pretty good. I guess seven. This has been a File 2 production. Hey, Rico.